The Captain America trilogy kicked off in 2011 with the first Avenger, then we got the Winter Soldier, and finally, Civil War. This trilogy was not only a huge success, but it made Steve Rogers one of the most beloved characters in the MCU. Let's break down his trilogy. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. And today, we're finally doing the Captain America trilogy. It's been a while since we talked about the MCU. We, we did a bunch of episodes last year and the year before, but we were like, we haven't done Cap. Yeah. And Cap is like one of the best in the entire franchise. And this trilogy has one of my favorite movies in the MCU with the Winter Soldier. So we have Captain America, the first Avengers, which came out in 2011. Then we have Captain America, the Winter Soldier, which was 2014. And then the third film, which is basically like an Avengers movie kind of. Avengers 2.5. Captain America, Civil War, which is kind of a Captain America, Winter Soldier story part two in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Because the Winter Soldier's plot really heavily plays into what's going on in that film, especially with Tony and his past with his parents. I really like the Captain America trilogy. I think it's probably from one, two, three, the strongest in terms of consistency for me that I like. Guardians is the second best, I would say. Iron Man, like, if Iron Man 2 was a little better, that would be unbeatable. Iron Man 2 is just way way too weak. And then I would say for me, Guardians 2, I'm not a big fan of. So, I like Guardians too. Yeah, I know you do. You you that's love my it. favorite Guardians movie. That's a move. It's your favorite. Yeah, dude, I fucking love Guardians too. Wow, the, the first s- one's my favorite. Yeah, the first one I think is just fantastic. Whereas with Captain America, I think all three of them are really good. And then Winter Soldier is obviously the clear front runner. But they did a great job with the first and third one as well. Whereas I think that for me. Iron Man and Guardians, the second ones, are just a little too weak for me to make them higher than Captain America. I got a hot take right here. What's that? So obviously, The, the Winter Soldier is my favorite uh, Captain America movie, and it's in top three MCU movie for me. I like the first Avenger more than Civil War. Now, I just rewatched all of these to prepare for this episode. I haven't seen them in so long. You binged them. The first Avenger is a good movie. It really is, and it's a great World War II movie. And I'm watching it. We were talking about this the other day. It kind of feels like an Indiana Jones film at times. It really has that tone that they're trying to play with. And I like Civil War a lot, but I think it's just overstuffed. And obviously, it's kind of an Avengers movie. It's post-Ultron, post-Sokovia. We're introducing Black Panther. We're introducing um, Spider-Man. Spider-Man's coming in here. It's awesome. It's so cool. But there's so many Ant-Mans coming in. So many characters. And it feels a little overstuffed to the point where... They had they had to do it. They had to do it. I understand it, It, but I think it takes away from the story a little bit. Yeah, because the story is solid at its core with Winter Soldier killing Tony's parents as well as killing T'Chaka, King of Wakanda, and being hunted by the Avengers as well as the Avengers being disbanded or trying to be controlled by the United Nations. I love Bucky in this in these two movies with First Avenger and Civil War, but I think and obviously Winter Soldier, but um. I like the I like the first Avenger man. You know what? First Avenger has a lot of personality, and the, I really like the cinematography. It's before the Disney and Marvel started implementing like a, a baseline style. Yeah. For the films, where they all have the same kind of cinematography, they all have the same kind of color palette. I f- I feel like just to start real quick, that was really mostly for like the the team up ones. But we got a lot of personality in Winter Soldier. We get a lot of personality in like the later Phase Four ones. Well, yes, but what I'm saying is like if you look at First Avenger, a lot of the the lighting is just like this very warm, inviting lighting. You don't see that kind of like nat like Edison bulb esque coloring. Gotcha. Yeah. To the cinematography, 
And also, it's a period piece, which is such a rarity for MCU films. Is it the only period piece? I mean, technically, Captain Marvel takes place in the what nineteen? Okay, that's a period seventies, seventies. So that's a, that also, that's also a period piece. But like, oh no, the eighties. Sorry, eighties. But like, pre like great technology period yeah. piece. So like, we're in the forties, <laughs> which I really like. It's an outlier for the MCU, but also it does have this warm tone to it that you don't see. The cinematography, I think, is more – it's a practical lighting. You get to see a lot of it. It just has, like, more of an old-school filmmaking vibe to it as opposed to most MCU movies after, I would say, Avengers. They implemented, like, very balanced lighting, very balanced coloring. It's just very neutral. Nothing wrong with that. Safe. It's just it's, it's the safe choice. But I, I really like the way that first Avenger looks. Me too. And I love World War II. I love war movies. World War II movies are great. And what I love so much about the first two, and I, I really like Civil War a lot, but what I think that it's missing, especially with the first two, the fucking killing and the guns. So much Steve gunfire. Steve Rogers kills so many people in the first film. He blows up tanks with grenades. He walks into factories shooting guns loaded. Like, guns what blazing. happened to this MCU? I miss it where it's just like, fuck it. It's a great action movie. The yeah. first two are excellent action movies, classic action movies. They're not afraid to use guns. Winter Soldier, the, the bullets sprayed in the second film, epic. Like, great. so many great Winter Soldier scenes with the machine guns and the explosions and the grenades and all these cool weapons. And then you kind of lose that as we get going into the MCU further. So I really missed that tone and how unafraid they were to just, like, some of these heroes are going to kill people. And Steve Rogers, he's killing Nazis, so no one gives a fuck. Yeah. But, like, he's killing people. I think what makes Winter Soldier so great is, that, like you said, the gunfire and... People are they're just spraying assault rifles and machine guns, and there's so many bullets sprayed. Whereas I think that even Black Widow kills dudes all the time. Yeah. But I think once Disney took over, they sort of neutered the violence. They're still fighting, but you don't really see gunfire. You don't really see people killing other people with guns, which is something that I think makes action movies really enticing because it adds real conflict and and real stakes when people are like getting killed with guns it adds that but when you eliminate that it kind of takes away the idea of oh people are really in danger it's even black widow she like doesn't even kill anymore in the latter films she just like tases people the whole yeah, time yeah. whereas the first her first few films she is la laying dudes out she's shooting people in the face with guns it's great and i really love that about first avenger and civil war and and uh, winter soldier but then I really do think that once Disney got involved, they're like, yeah, no more gunfire. I get doing that with Captain America. He's like the golden boy, the leader of the MCU yeah. in a lot of ways. I understand taking the gun away from him going forward. Black Widow, I think that she could have benefited from remaining using guns because she's not an enhanced human. She's obviously insanely skilled, highly trained super assassin. But when she's going against aliens and superhumans and super mega beings and gods, give her a couple handguns and less. I mean, the tasing's cool, but like. Does she even fire a gun in her solo movie? I can't. I haven't. I'm sure she does. I'm not sure if she does. Well, actually, when I think of the poster, she's got like sticks, right? Yeah. She, I don't think she even has a gun in the movie. In her I, solo I, movie. I can't remember. A fucking assassin. I can't with remember. No gun. I, I can neither confirm or deny that, Anthony. I'm pretty Someone sure. Someone will have to let us know, yeah. but it does. It's. I feel like they. Could have benefited from that, making that Jason Bourne movie, just guns. Let's, oh, let's, fuck, let's get some fuck guns. Yeah. Because Winter Soldier, the opening mission where they're on the on the uh, ship, she kills like twenty guys yeah. with handguns. It's oh, awesome. Yeah. Absolutely, she's such a badass. Yeah, it's great. And I Steve Rogers kills a bunch of people too. In the first movie, he kills so many people. That's the thing. When, when it's, <laughs> if he's in a war, he'll kill. 
And he's he doesn't have like he says he's not a killer at heart, but he will kill if he has to. Yeah. And in a wartime situation, you have to kill to survive and to protect your friends and your fellow soldiers. So then that's a time where it's okay to kill, and because of the context. But he's not. And gonna, they're Nazis. Yeah. But outside, I can't, not, I can't say Nazi, Nazi, Nazis. I say Nazis. But once wartime's over, he's not a killer. So in the latter films, it makes sense for you know Captain America, the Blue Boy Scout, the leader. Uh, the moral compass of the Avengers to not be a killer. Plus, we're dealing with enhanced beings, so, like, guns really don't do much to them, really. So it's more of just, like, the superpowers going against superpowers in a lot of ways. They could have used some guns on those aliens in New York. It could... <laughs> <laughs> Black, Black, Wid- Black Widow could have used some guns. She did a great job. Guns would have worked really well been, on those her, aliens. Her life would have been a lot easier if she had a couple of handguns. I'll take the I'll take an assault rifle over nunchucks, any, over the sticks any day. And you know what's interesting is the <laughs> Avengers came up before Winter Soldier, so yeah. I think... Because of how big that movie was, like they probably don't want her to use guns because it's, yes, they, yes, I think yeah. it's like the image for kids, I guess. And also, it might affect the rating of the film. Yeah, but in terms of style, First Avenger, like you said, it looks great, looks terrific. Winter Soldier, it really breathed coolness into the MCU for me. It breathed coolness into Steve Rogers. That movie, Winter Soldier, made Steve Rogers my favorite MCU character. Because I thought he was so awesome in that movie. He's such a badass. He's, you know, woken up seven years later, and now he's kind of living this new life here in this contemporary world, the present-day world. He's accepted it. He's trying to fit in best he can. It's funny. Great action. He is a really relatable and interesting character. It's one of my favorite movies for Steve Rogers in general. In the style, the, the Russo brothers brought great action sequences to this movie. Obviously, that landed them then Civil War and then the Avengers movies. But I think The Winter Soldier was a really important movie for the MCU going forward. It's really similar how we always talk about sort of Ratatouille with Pixar changing the aesthetic of Pixar, you know, bring advanced programs of cinematography, digital lenses to the animated films and the animated spectrum. This movie breathed, breathed like new life into the MCU going forward. And I think it's the same thing how... Ragnarok breathed something else into the MCU later in 2018. Well, with Winter with Winter Soldier, I believe I would say the Russos realized, you know, with these the big budget action movies, the sci-fi CGI extravaganzas aren't going to cut it when we're competing against the Bourne movies and the new James Bond movies, and where they were introducing great action, great fight sequences, and great car chases. And so I think they were like, we got to put these elements into this film to be able to compete against those and to make audiences realize it's not just about superpowers. Let's blow some cars up. Let's shoot some guns. Let's have a fucking badass car chase. That's what it, that's what a lot of audiences want when they walk into an action movie. So to make it more, not just, an, not just a Marvel movie, not just a superhero movie, but to make it an action movie, I think it was really important. For me, when I watched that, I was like, oh, these are the kinds of action movies I love to see. And all three of these have a ton of of practical filmmaking, especially Winter Soldier and First Avenger. Lots of really big sets, really flipping cars, blowing cars up, tons of squibs, and obviously there's green screens, but I feel like this was like Marvel's prime. They weren't so reliant on huge green screen sets, blue screen backgrounds, an exorbitant amount of CGI. They have plenty of CGI, especially Civil War. Yeah. But still, Winter Soldier and First Avenger tons of practical filmmaking that still holds up the de-aging in winter soldier doesn't look terrific for peggy as well as i guess you could say yeah because they went cgi with the de-aging yes the de-aging of peggy uh when she's very elderly in bed when steve visits her it doesn't look great it really does it looks good if you look at it on a phone it looks great with your glasses off (laughs) (laughs) and then 
uh, Tony Stark gets de-aged in Civil War, but really that's kind of like a program. So he looks like you. Who? Young Tony Stark looks like you. Like me? Yeah. So young Downey. Young Downey like CGI in Civil War looks so much like you. I was watching it. I was like, that looks like James when he was like 21 and clean shaven. Someone needs to make a meme about that. I'll find a photo. <laughs> it, I was like, holy shit, that looks just like you. But that one I give the benefit of the doubt. Even though it's de-age, it's technically a program that he's presenting on stage. So at first I was like, oh, this de-aging doesn't look great. But then I realized it's this new technology he's developed to kind of deal yeah, with past when you, trauma. when you realize it's not an actual scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so but the de-aging of Peggy and Winter Soldier does not look super great. Now, uh, First Avenger, it wasn't obviously a huge gigantic hit that we're used to with Marvel I mean if it made it did make 340 million dollars 70 370 million dollars globally so it was actually a standout runaway success for Marvel at the time because at the time Marvel had only released Iron Man 1 and 2 Thor and then Captain America the first Avenger and Hulk and Hulk so what happened was Marvel was actually bankrupt in the 90s this is a crazy story so in 1996 marvel filed for bankruptcy it's hard to believe that this company with its success nowadays had come close to completely collapsing and so it struggled through the 90s and early 2000s until the 2008 release of the first mcu movie iron man and now we all that spearheaded and was the catalyst for what we all know and iron man wasn't even like a global phenomenon no. it was still was like under 400 million at the box office right i believe iron man made 700 million was it really that or, much correct hard? me if i'm Let wrong me double check yeah double check that so what happened was the way that marvel kept itself from completely collapsing 580 580 so 600 million very good for the time marvel kept itself afloat in the 2000s by licensing its characters so marvel licensed characters like spider-man to sony the X-Men and Fantastic Four to 20th Century's Fox, and a few others as well, like Blade as well. These licensing contracts with the studios kept Marvel from completely falling into bankruptcy. But then this Marvel decided, you know, we can make our own films. We're getting a little bit of collateral, and we've proven that we can maintain our business. So what they did was they got a $525 million loan from Merrill Lynch, the bank, to produce their own films. So with that $525 million, they made... They made Iron Man, Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, and Captain America, the first Avenger. And so everything was on the table for Marvel. If these movies didn't perform well, they were going to just completely fall under, and they were going to have to probably sell off their entire company, and they probably would have been gutted by multiple companies, or one studio probably would have bought the entire company itself, which actually already happened. <laughs> but Marvel was very close to falling under. So really, it was the success of Iron Man that made it work because hulk didn't do that well iron man and iron man 2 crushed it and then that led into people being very interested in thor and first and captain america the first avenger if they had started with thor probably it might not have worked out and if they had started with captain america the first avenger that also might not have worked out but the success of iron man is really what made the company have success going forward with their next films and they eventually turned a very big profit and so that $525 million loan was easily paid, paid back, and then they had their production company up and running, and they were just sprinting to the finish line with the Avengers. Yeah, we might as well go through the timeline real quick with Phase 1 and Phase 2 of where these movies actually land, and Phase 3. So Phase 1, this is the release dates of the movies, not chronologically, because chronologically, Captain America, the first Avenger, would be first, then Captain Marvel. So we have Iron Man in 2008, Hulk in 2009, Iron Man 2 2010, Thor in 2011, 
Captain America, the first Avenger, also 2011. Then the Avengers in 2012. That was phase one. Then we have Iron Man 3 in 2013 to kick off phase two. Thor, the Dark World. That's what it's called, right? Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the Forgotten Thor movie, <laughs> 2013 as well. Captain America. They actually erased it from the chronology. The Winter Soldier, 2014. To the Guardians of the Galaxy in 2014. What a year. Guardians and Winter Soldier Peak in one MCU, year. man. Peak MCU. Avengers Age of Ultron, 2015. Ant-Man in 2016. Civil War, 2016 to kick off Phase 3. So Civil War comes post-Ultron. And then we have Winter Soldier comes post-Avengers, and obviously first Avengers, pre-Avengers. Yeah, and that feeds obviously into Infinity War and Endgame, and then obviously the Black Panther movie. They definitely peaked in 2014, I would say. Who? Marvel. Peaked in 2014? Well, well I'm sorry. Are you 2019, high? I mean, 2019. High as fuck, bro. But solo movies, <laughs> solo movies were great in 2014. Well, peaking in terms of box office revenue and maybe quality of filmmaking, yeah, 2018, 2019. That's obviously Marvel's peak right now, but I mean, they could they could get that back. I think they they could get to that point again if they focus, <laughs> get their shit focus! together. Because when I was watching this, I'm like, man, the MCU was killing it. They're making great, great movies. All three of these movies are really, really good. There's a reason why Avengers made so much money because people got so excited. And then Age of Ultron, I think, was a big misfire. But it's Civil War saved it. Black Panther saved it, leading into Infinity War. Yeah, and then MCU versus Sony. Let's remember, No Way Home, even though that was a huge success, that's a Sony movie. That's a Sony movie, Sony production mostly, in collaboration with Marvel MCU Studios. But, I mean, MCU only got 25% of the box office. That's a, that's a Sony movie, really. So I don't always like to count that as, like, the MCU, like, kind of, kind of coming back. Because, you know, Doctor Strange this past year, Ant-Man, The Wasp, Quantumania was disappointing. So we've had a lot of not-so-great movies from the MCU recently. And I think they can get back to this heyday of just making excellent movies that have that are huge hits of the box office. I think they really can. I'm not sure if they can. I'm I'm really not sure if they can hit the high that they hit in the 2010s. Once they get the mutants in there, man, the X-Men. Maybe. I mean, we'll see going forward. But I honestly, I honestly think that the Disney purchase changed the culture of the movies. So didn't the streaming sensation, yeah. streaming war, war, because they went to focus on TV so hard. I think that was a huge mistake from Disney to go, all right, let's go hard on TV. Let's kind of just do one or two movies a year, which I understand superhero fatigue, one or two movies a year is fine with me. But when you're putting all a ton of resources into a bunch of TV shows that not a lot of people are watching, I think that was a mistake. I also I think there's an oversaturation mistake as well because it used to be that when an, an when a Marvel movie came out, it was it was like oh shit. Sometimes there was one a year, sometimes there was two a year. But now if there if there's two or three movies and then four TV shows in the in the connection problem, yeah. where to see the Marvels this year. You have to watch like 17 goddamn shows in, in 30 movies. I'm like, what? I don't want to watch all these goddamn TV shows just to watch one movie. What is like everything has to be connected, which I think from a PR marketing standpoint, it's a good idea. Like, oh, make people entice them to watch all this other content when really at the end of the day, who the fuck has time to watch all this content? Yeah, true. And speaking of, I think that there has been a villain problem with the MCU lately, whereas the Cap trilogy is great. The re one of the reasons why I put it above the other trilogies is because it has a great villain for every film. Red Skull is an awesome villain. Zemo is an awesome villain. And then Winter Soldier is a fantastic villain. So 
I would say that the Captain America trilogy has the best set of villains for any other MCU franchise. And then, I mean, Winter Soldier, that film, Bucky's a main villain for sure. But yeah. also the uh, the German scientist, uh, I can't remember his name, who's the AI program. He's yeah. kind of like one of the main villains as well. Plus Pierce and Hydra are the yeah. villain. Yeah, exactly. Really, you know, so there's a bunch of big organizations and like keeping Hydra alive secretly at S.H.I.E.L.D. is like a great idea because... The destruction of S.H.I.E.L.D. is such a huge part of the MCU at this point. It affects Nick Fury so much. It affects everybody so much with Hydra secretly growing inside. Yeah, and then you look at Thor. Thor has always kind of had a villain problem. Loki was a good villain in the first film, uh, but also he was, he, I mean, he was a gray area villain. Then I'm not, the Dark Elves not feeling in the second film. And then Ragnarok, who is the villain? Hela. Hela is good, but she kind of just gets like put on one location she's just chilling there yeah. until thor shows up that's i think an issue with how the villain was written for the story where she gets she arrives and then she's chilling there until thor and company show up my problem with this is going thor or rag, rag, yeah, rag go for, for a second my my villain problem with hella i think she's awesome kate blanchett is terrific an amazing actress and hella is so powerful and my problem with that movie, which I love, it's one of my favorite MCU movies, top five for me, is that Thor and her didn't fight at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thor not they fight. Fought. Barely. On the balcony. Barely. Yeah. She, but Thor didn't beat her. Yeah. She was destroyed by Ragnarok. So I was disappointed that Thor wasn't the one that beat Hela, who took over Asgard, you know, took over his entire planet and led to its destruction, which, well, Raz Ragnarok was yeah, yeah, inevitable. Yeah, yeah. But I still, I was disappointed that Thor didn't, like, kind of stop her himself. Yeah, I get that. Uh, my thing is, I don't mind that because she was, I mean, she's so powerful. It, it was reiterated. She was so powerful. Thor would never be able to beat her. But my issue with, um, I love why, I t love Taika Waititi, but the way he handled both his villains, Hela and, and um, Ragnarok, and then uh, Christian Gore. The, well, I, I, Gore and then Ragnarok's Gore. the event, so I, yeah, I, I yeah. can't remember what the demon's name is. No, no, I'm just saying the movie Ragnarok. Okay. So Hel okay, Hela sorry. and Ragnarok. I thought you meant the event. My and bad. then, let me finish! <laughs> and then Gore in Love and Thunder, what he did with both villains is they show up, they're super powerful, and then they're chilling, literally chilling for two hours until the heroes show up. You know what I mean? Yeah, Gore is disappointing. Gore chills on his rock with the kids. <laughs> the little moon planet. <laughs> and then Hela chills in, in Isengard. Asgard. A and Is this is Asgard. Lord of the Rings, Anthony. <laughs> Hell Saruman. <laughs> They're taking the hobbits to the Asgard. The white wizard is here. <laughs> and Hela chills in Asgard until the heroes show up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they're both just waiting as opposed to carrying out more plot things and moving the plot forward. Those are two things that I don't, I'm not really a fan of where they're just like sitting. Whereas the villains in the Cap trilogy, they're constantly moving. They're constantly driving conflict, and they're making matters worse and worse with every like scene of the film. That's a really good point because they are the catalysts for the events that are going on. Even with Civil War, even though it's not Bucky that's doing all these ter terrorist things, th the explosions and everything, he's still part of the plot, and the plot revolves around him. And Zemo is, an, is a really good villain in that film, driving the plot. He's making things worse. He's Zemo is dividing the crew. He's, he's causing all of the conflicts in the film and it's it's not like he's just if they if you would write it the same way as those two villains in the thor franchise he would just be like sitting in a computer room you know what i mean yeah doing nothing that, so that's he's, an excellent he's, point he's driving the force of the conflict and then you think of thanos constantly on the move yeah. constantly looking for the stones yeah exactly i think you're right especially with gore because 
there's so much potential with that character and you hear about the massive amounts of deleted scenes that Disney cut from the movie like I'm sure Taika was pretty stressed out because it probably didn't end up being the movie that he wanted it to be especially with gore and I was disappointed <laughs> because really interesting first act with the character and then yeah he's just hanging out somewhere that's exactly Ragnarok though with Hela just waiting for Thor to come to her basically. exactly 100% that's a good point yeah it's just a matter of the structuring of the story, but they did it right with the Cap trilogy. That's why I put it over the other franchises because the villains are fantastic. Now let's get into each movie one by one by one. What do you think? Well, yeah, let's do it one yeah. by one by one. How about we'll get into obviously? Well, the- I do it out of order. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> like my Harry Potter marathon last week, <laughs> dude. Watch this. You watch here. I'll. I'll, I'll this is how <laughs> it makes I, no sense. This is how I did it. I did Azkaban, <laughs> Half Blood Prince, Chamber of Secrets, Sorcerer's Stone, Order of the Phoenix. Goblet of Fire, and then the last two, death, and then the Deathly Hollow movies. Why? Why would you do it like that? It's just how I felt like doing it. It well, makes no sense. Well, it, it, <laughs> first of all, the only thing you did right was ending with Deathly Hallows. That's the only thing you did right. I've seen them so many times, it doesn't matter the order for me personally. I just randomly put on Prisoner of Azkaban. And I get I was, that, yeah. And I was like, you know, I feel like watching like Half of the Prince. And I'm like, you know what? I feel like watching Chamber of Secrets. I might as well watch them all. So you, you went in order of your three favorites first is what you did. Basically, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, those See, if I watch them, I would watch one of them on their own, but I wouldn't continue the entire franchise out of order like that. It's, it's not, it doesn't matter to me. I've seen them all. It's just like I know what happened before and after each movie. Man, but you got to have – it's it's got to be like that narrative needs to flow, bro. bro I, I can flow that narrative. I can recite the movies right now in order. Like it's fine. By the way, I have this idea for an episode of doing – we should do a Marauders episode. And we should talk about what we think it should be like and who we should cast in the roles. We'll do that. Anyways, but we're talking about the MCU, not yeah. Harry Potter right now. So let's get into <laughs> The First Avengers. Came out in 2011, directed by Joe Johnston. IMDb, it's a 6.9. Rotten Tomatoes, 80% critic score, 75% audience score. On a budget of $140 million, it grossed $370 million globally. Steve Rogers, a rejected military soldier, transforms into Captain America after taking a dose of super soldier serum. But being Captain America comes at a price as he attempts to take down a warmonger and terrorist organization inside Nazi Germany. Now, this has a great cast. Everyone knew who Chris Evans was from Fantastic Four, and he had been in some good comedies and movies. But this really made him a superstar. He was, I think he's something the MCU got really right in their first decade is just casting. Yeah. The casting was excellent. Hugo Weaving as Red Skull is a lot of fun. Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter is perfection. And then Tommy Lee Jones being in this film is just a lot of fun. So you have like two veteran respected actors in this film kind of sells it for the audience as well, which is why I think like Kenneth Branagh casting Anthony Hopkins as Thorin in Thor was such a great move. And Odin. Then- the Odin's. Why are you still on Lord of the Rings? My head's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's a dwarf. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Isengard, Thorin. You know, when Bilbo, uh, he defeats Tony Stark. <laughs> when Bilbo found the uh, the Infinity Stone. Black Widow against the yeah. Orcs is awesome. But also, Jeff Bridges in Iron Man. These things help sell the project in a big way for audiences. And so this is the one where Tommy Lee Jones fucking respected Oscar winner to have him in this film I think really helps I think people took note of what Nolan did with Batman Begins hiring veteran actors respected actors and then Sebastian Stan his big breakout in this role I think is fantastic as well and I like how I love period pieces and I like how science fiction and old period piece blends together it's kind of hard to pull off the prestigious one that pulled off science fiction in an old period piece setting 
And this is one that did the same thing. It's a really unique kind of categorical genre of period piece sci-fi. And I think that did an outstanding job with it. That's why it feels like indie in Raiders of the Lost Ark that's supernatural to the period piece. And speaking of Tommy Lee Jones, all three of the Captain America movies have really old white guys who are terrific actors. We have Tommy Lee Jones as the general, right? Yeah. And then we have Robert Redford as Alexander Pierce in Winter Soldier. And then we have William Hurt in the third film. He plays the the Secretary of State. So uh, is William Hurt an Oscar winner? He's, uh, yes. Let me double check. I believe so. So we have... Yeah. Three Oscar winners yeah. in old guy roles. <laughs> old white guy roles. But William Hurt was in Hulk as well. You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. He's um, Liv Tyler's father. That's right. I forgot about that. And the characters are sensational in this movie. You know, Bucky and Steve, their relationship is terrific. Yee. But Steve Rogers, he's so likable in this movie. Is he the best character in the MCU? I think, he, I mean, the best character is probably Tony. But my favorite is Steve. But I, I think objectively, Tony's, Tony's the fucking best. It's like Batman, dude. But um, Steve Rogers, he's this little guy who just, you know, genetically did not win the lottery at all. But he's got a huge heart. And he's highly honorable. It's he's, all about heart. Stop with that song. <laughs> Every time I say heart, Anthony brings up a song we sang miles in, miles, miles in fourth heart. grade in chorus. <laughs> what movie? It's from a baseball movie, right? Yeah. Or play. It's from a baseball play. Musical, yeah. Steve Rogers, anyways, has tons of hearts. Highly honorable, he's tough as nails, tiny and weak, but he never gives up. He can't fight in the war because he's got so many problems, physical ailments. He's got asthma alone will keep him out of the war. His father died in the in a war, though. I believe his father probably died in World War One because this is World War Two. That's my guess. And he's got so many no, great— he died in a Gulf War. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> he has so many great character traits that make him potentially be the perfect soldier, you know— when the scientist, played by Stanley Tucci, overhears him at the fair saying, there are men laying their lives down. I have no right to do any less. I want to serve my country. I want to fight. I don't want to just gather scrap metal for weapons, for machines. I want to do my part. And that's why he gets put into this secret program from the Strategic Scientific Reserve to basically create a super soldier. And that's why he gets chosen, because of his character, because... There's more to being a soldier than just being tough as nails and huge and strong. There's more that is required from deep down. Maybe the little guy can help. And the de- the the shrinking in face CGI of Steve Rogers and Chris Evans in this film looks really good. Yeah. It holds up. It looks fantastic. And the visual effects for Chris Evans and Steve Rogers were done by a Los Angeles company called Lola that specializes in digital plastic surgery. So this technique involved shrinking Chris Evans in all dimensions. So physically, really? <laughs> no, because like you Honey, can't. I shrunk Captain America. You can't put like his regular size head on this yeah. body because then it would look weird. So they <laughs> imagine, imagine if they did. <laughs> It'd be like NBA Jam. <laughs> NBA Jam. Oh my god. NFL Blitz. <laughs> <laughs> so they shot each skinny Steve scene at least four times. So once like a normal scene with Chris Evans and his fellow actors and actresses in the scene, and then once with Evans alone in front of a green screen so his element could be reduced digitally, again with everyone in the scene, but the, with Evans absent, so that the shrunken Steve could be reinserted into the scene. And then finally... Honk, can you say that again? So they shot it without him on set? Yes. Okay. So that way they have... An, so they an, shot him on set normal. Yeah. Him on green screen, set empty, with uh, set with without Steve. Yes, and then a set with a stunt double. So this way, the camera is programmed to, to have the exact same movements every time so that they can easily insert and change the elements within the scenes. 
And so the body double mimicking the body double would mimic would mimic Chris Evans' actions, and in the case of the second technique was required. So when Evans had to interact with the other characters in the scene, they had to either lower him or raise him physically from the other actors or actresses on Apple boxes. Or they would elevate walkways to make skinny Steve shorter in comparison. So Evans would be walking on a lower level and the other actors would be walking on a higher level. And so for <clears throat> and so Evans had to look at the marks on tops of actors' heads to represent their eyes. So he would be looking at the tops of their heads if he was talking to them rather than looking at them in the eyes or if he was like he because he's taller than most of the other actors he would be looking down at them so he had to also change his acting technique in terms of where he was looking this technique this technique was used mostly when evans was sitting or lying down or when a minimum of physical acting was required and i think it looks really good i think it's a great example of some of the best cgi the mcu has done it's, it looks terrific. It really does. I mean, it probably would have been a lot easier if Chris Evans just went method and shrunk himself <laughs> and got super skinny and then got huge again. I mean, I don't know why he wouldn't just do that. I mean, Christian Bale would have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the difference between Chris Evans and Christian Bale. Just kidding. just kidding. I love Chris Evans so much. Oh, no. Yeah, we all love him, but we all know Christian Bale is a fucking the greatest actor working right now. <laughs> the transformation's incredible, but I mean, the reason he gets picked, obviously, is... You know, Peggy sees with the, the 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 character of this person and why he he's should just not be hot yet. <laughs> yeah, he's not hot yet. <laughs> he's a great guy. He's really nice. That's why. I like, but then when he gets huge, oh my god, he's so fucking hot. <laughs> she like touches his chest, like holy shit. Um, the the general played by Tommy doesn't believe in him yet. Peggy believes in him. And the scientists believe in him. And scientists, he's like his pick. Like this is the guy that has to be done. And then Tommy wants that other soldier. Like, oh, look at him. He's big. He's strong. He's he'll do what he wants. He'll do what you say. He's a soldier. That's what do you need? What else do you need? And then he throws that fake grenade. And what happens? Everyone runs away from it except for Steve Rogers. Jumps on it to save his fellow soldiers, proving he's the guy. And then the transformation is awesome. And I really like this movie because. The period piece, obviously, and these characters from this time that we love, like Peggy, but also Howard Stark and his youth. Yeah. So fun, very similar to Tony, this arrogant, cocky, brilliant engineer, scientist, creating that hovering car. Oh, I said two years. And then <laughs> being the guy who develops the technology in the serum, in the serum that was developed from, was it the Tesseract, I believe? To create the super soldier serum and transform Captain America, Steve Rogers into Captain America. And the transformation is jarring because Chris Evans got an insane shape for this movie, especially this scene because he's shirtless. But, like, it's so jarring to see how small he is for the first half hour and then, boom, this massive dude coming out of the tank. It's excellent. Yeah, you would have touched his chest too. <laughs> Just make sure it's real, dude. <laughs> no, it's really impressive. And it's, it's a great contrast because he gains over a foot in height and then over 100 pounds of muscle. So it's quite a difference. He becomes a heavyweight fighter. More than that. <laughs> <laughs> and like you said, this movie has a great villain, Schmidt, the Red Skull, played by Hugo Weaving, who we learn was obviously the Fuhrer's like, right-hand man and also believed in the occult and the supernatural and had an obsession with that like Hitler did. However, his is reality. He really believes that there's power here left by the gods that he's trying to discover for himself. He eventually has plans to take over the world and basically become the new Fuhrer of this new world that he's going to create. And he also has the same strength as Captain America. Yeah, because from the original version yeah, of the Yeah, the first ever version, it just went wrong. And I, I love the idea 
of Nazis being involved, of supernatural, uh, because it has so many uh, connections to the Indiana Jones franchise. It just and actually, so the director of this film was actually the art director of in Raiders of the Lost Ark. No way. So, I mean, I think he took a lot of elements from the indie franchise and put them into this film because I, I think there are a lot of similarities where, you know, Red Skull, when he grabs the Tesseract, he kind of, he doesn't melt, but he like gets sucked into that wormhole, whatever. Very reminiscent of the first Raiders film at the end. And then also the his first scene, Red Skull's first scene, is they're inside that like tomb or whatever when they find that little thing. They find the thing, so... And there's a few other things, but also having Nazis. It just has so many similarities to the indie franchise that I think are really exceptional and make the film a lot of fun because it's, it feels like they're like nods to uh, one of the most beloved franchises of all time. And it makes sense given the director worked on those films. And World War II movies are great, and I, I, World War One movies as well, but this one does a great job showing the propaganda of war for America, which absolutely exists and has existed and when you look at the old newsreels and how they used to play before movies support the troops do your part you know gather supplies and if you have any extra metal lying around or help gather metal and rubber and, and all these resources that are needed to help win the war and what happens to cap even though he gets transformed into the super soldier and he saves the day kind of uh when that guy uh tries to bomb the facility he gets turned into basically a stage act of propaganda for the war. He becomes very famous because of what he is, this super soldier created by the U.S. government. But he's not allowed to fight. He's promoted to, to the rank of captain, and he thinks he'll be able to do his part eventually. But all he is is a dancing monkey, just like that drawing he's doing that Peggy finds when she comes and is like, hey, great show. He's like, yeah, I had to, uh, had to improvise. This isn't what he signed up for. This isn't what he, wasn't what he was expecting. He's trying to wait because I think it's a, that senator who gets him that gig is promises he'll get him on the front lines at some point. And also, he, he, there's a point from where he's like, okay, I am doing something at least. It, it's not exactly what I had in mind, but I think there's a, a side to it where I'm helping in some ways, but still, I, I when he realizes you know people are dying, it, men and soldiers are, are fighting on the front lines, I should be there too. And it really isn't until Bucky's taken captive that he's motivated to be like, fuck the command i'm gonna do this i'm gonna find my friend well he thinks bucky's dead he's he doesn't think bucky's well he, he says he doesn't he could, think he thinks he could be he's alive. told bucky's dead yeah. but he could be alive but he also there's a bunch yeah. of pow's that he wants to go save and peggy helps him out and so that's the moment where i'm not doing the stage act anymore and it's a great sequence of captain america's basically first mission going to save all these troops that are taken over as well as his first meeting with Red Skull on that scaffolding with Dr. Zola as well. Really interesting. And then when Red Skull, Johann Schmidt, just takes off his fucking face. It's oh, yeah. terrible. And then I love how Bucky's like, you don't have one of those, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. Great. Yeah, I, I, and I was always confused the first couple of times I watched this film of how Bucky survived the fall on the train later in the film and it's because whatever they were doing whatever hydra was doing with him while he was strapped down to that table in captivity they were experimenting with him so what they did to him uh, made him capable of surviving that fall from the edge of the cliff off the train so that's that explains how bucky ends up surviving that yeah but he loses his arm right yeah 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 
It's pretty pretty crazy. So I, I was always like, how did the fuck did that dude survive and become Winter Soldier? Like, I understand. Accept were, it, bro. They were, because <laughs> they were throwing some shit in him yeah. that made him survive that fall. And when you look at Red Skull versus Captain America, they are complete opposites, but on the same coin, which is really interesting because Red Skull, he's taking on the perspective of, I'm a god now. I'm not human anymore. And Captain America, Steve Rogers, even though he's as powerful, he still sees himself as a human, as a person. And that's the main difference between the two of them, where Red Skull says to him, I've accepted that I'm no longer human, and I've accepted the power of the gods. You haven't yet. You still basically are one of them. But that's their biggest difference in why Steve Rogers is such a great hero, is because he never loses his humanity. Did you know that uh, Hugo Weaving didn't like the film? <laughs> he didn't? So he actually didn't even perform in Endgame. In, oh, that's not him? So Hugo Weaving uh, has gone on record stating that he is indifferent to this film. And he said that he was happy for the experience, but it was not the type of film that he normally preferred. And he indicated to have en very little interest in reprising his role as Red Skull, also due to the difficulty of the makeup process involved. So when Red Skull, or a version of him, appeared in Avengers Infinity War, he was played by a different actor. You know, he does look different and sound a little different, but they do a good job doing a Hugo Weaving impression. Yeah, whoever they hired. Whoever yeah. they hired. Yeah, so that's not Hugo Weaving. Yeah, the makeup must have sucked. I mean, Paul Bettany probably fucking hated his makeup, too, for Vision every day. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine I mean, that makeup? Because not only does it take forever, but, like, the red stains on your skin, probably. Yeah, but I'm sure the paycheck is nice. <laughs> well, absolutely, it's nice. <laughs> I mean, Jennifer Connelly wants to go to the Maldives. You take it. You go to the Maldives. <laughs> Not that Jennifer Connelly can't afford herself. She's very successful. Yeah, man. <laughs> Although she's never got the Marvel money. Yeah, she hasn't gotten Marvel money yet, has she? No. She got the Top Gun money. Yeah, the Top Gun money is good. <laughs> Post gross good. <laughs> that but, back end. But that, that Marvel money is really good. Back Especially because didn't he he made 250k for like eight hours of work for Vision, just the voice in Iron Man. Not, it's not Vision. It was. I mean the program. Uh, what's uh, it? The AI, whatever it's called. Lloyd. <laughs> Lloyd? It's not Lloyd. Something. Whatever. I'll look it up. Keep um, talking. Something very British. Well, I can't remember. But anyways. yeah, Jarvis, he, right? Jarvis. Jarvis. Yeah, Jarvis. He, he was the voice of Jarvis. He made a ton of money. But then they're like, oh, let's make him Vision since he's the voice of Jarvis. It makes sense. He's a great actor. But that make it must have sucked. And this movie has a great you know, conclusion in third act where Captain America basically sacrifices himself after he takes over the ship defeats red skull he sacrifices himself to save the world and to save new york because the ship is heading for new york city and a lot of people are gonna die and it's really tragic because his relationship with peggy you just wanted to get going and obviously that girl the secretary takes advantage kind of of cap pulls him in for that he, kiss. Did, he did not consent to that he didn't stop it. Yeah, he didn't stop it. <laughs> <laughs> true. Peggy walks in because, you know, they they have that chemistry and they're like, oh, I'm just waiting for that. My partner, I'm waiting for that dance. And Man, he waited a long time to make a move. Like, they've been working together for like two years now. <laughs> it's been a long time. And what she say? She's like, it wasn't that hard to find a partner, I guess. But then when he's at war and, you know, they're getting their film reels back from combat and he's got his little pocket watch and there's a photo of Peggy in there and she sees that. You know, you're hoping they get together at some point, and it's really sad and tragic that they'd never get to see each other again until the end of Endgame when he goes back in time and goes and sees Peggy again, which I think when you watch First Avenger now after seeing Endgame, which I haven't since, 
it really hit me because I'm like, oh my god, he went back for Peggy. It's, and, I, I always thought, that, I, yeah, Cap's ending was one of the best parts of the MCU. Yeah, and going back and living his life and being with Peggy is the best ending you could possibly have for Captain America. It was perfection. Sweet, because yeah. they really deserved each other and they really loved each other, you could tell. And it's, it's sad that it only lasted for this one movie. <clears throat> I wonder if he goes back if he like is a superhero there in the past. That's, I mean, it's a possibility for a storyline. Or does he just lay low? Or is he just well, like, we talked about it in our Endgame review. Well, I said it would be cool if there was like a new franchise of Captain America, a period piece franchise of him doing shit. I would watch that. But I think he would prefer to lay low. Like he did enough. He served, you know. Yeah. And then the movie ends terrifically where Captain America, kind of in like a Mission Impossible fake situation, yeah. Yeah. wakes up in a hospital room in a bed that looks like it's from the 1940s where he just was. But there's something off because he's wicked smart. <laughs> and busts through the walls, runs outside this building, beats up a bunch of people, and he's in Times Square, contemporary, modern day. And Nick Fury shows up. He says, you've been asleep, Cap. For 70 years. I had a date. <laughs> it's sad. And then the post-credit scene in this one is him boxing in the gym, and then Fury shows up. He's like, I, I, we need you. We got a mission. It's a good ending. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be the Avengers setup. So Chris Evans actually declined the role. Of Captain America three times before accepting the park. Does it say why? Yeah, not out of dislike for the role, but because he feared what the effects of the sudden increase of fame would be on his private life. And because he also, he, I think he had a bad experience with Fantastic Four franchise. Robert Downey Jr. is the one who convinced him to take the part and thus gain the freedom to sign on any role he'd want afterwards. After that, he met with Joe Johnston, the director, and the producers who convinced him to take the role. And the producers and director, they had a bunch of other people in mind, but they kept thinking Evans was the right role, right person for the role because he kept saying no. And because he was rejecting, like, the super fame, that made him like, oh, my God, he has, like, the same moral compass as Steve Rogers does. It seems to be like he's perfectly fit. If he's rejecting fame and money because it doesn't feel right, that means, like, he's, like, the perfect guy for the role. So they kept, that's why they kept going to Chris Evans. Yeah, wasn't Krasinski in the running for a while? I believe Krasinski was in the running, yes. Top three yes. for the running. Yeah, I think he was perfectly cast, honestly. And I couldn't really picture anyone else doing it. Evans is, yeah, they all, they, every one of the roles is perfectly cast. Even Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, even though their first choice is Emily Blunt, I still think she was perfect. Yeah, I think ScarJo was really great as Black Widow. I think she was the right choice. I'm sure Emily would have been great as well. Oh, for sure. Something about ScarJo, I think she was perfect for Black Widow. All right, how about we run to our intermission? And then we'll get back, we'll get into Winter Soldier and Civil War in more detail. Let's do it. And before we continue, the very best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast is to share us with your movie family members and movie friends who love cinema, love TV, if they love the MCU. Send them, send them this episode, send them the show. It's the best way for us to grow as well as leaving those five-star reviews on Spotify and Apple. They really help us get seen by new people. We love to read the written reviews out as well on Apple, so I'm going to read one out in a minute. You really want me to. It should be fun. I want you to. Yeah, you want me to. It'd be a blast. Everybody wants you to. And then also you can become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. It is a subscription-based form of support. We have five different tiers, $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100. Every single tier on Patreon has access to two weekly bonus episodes. We have over 220 now bonus episodes that you can watch Anytime, only you, as well as if you link your Patreon account with Spotify, you can tune into our private Patreon Spotify playlist 
Raiders of the Lost Patreon on Spotify, so you can listen there. It's great. So Patreon is essential to us doing this show. We couldn't do it without you. Thanks so much. I love the Raiders of the Lost Patreon page. It's, it's pretty good. This episode, of course, is sponsored by our friends at MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. Be sure to use our promo code there, Raiders10, to get 10% off your order right now. They have a huge selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable, as well as a ton of Marvel posters in their poster library. High quality, all sorts of sizes, framing, even backlighting for your poster needs. They're also doing a movie poster giveaway contest with us this week. If you want to enter for a chance to win a free movie poster, go to our previous episode, The Bear, on YouTube, make a comment in that episode that enters you into a chance to win a free poster from MoviePosters.com. Again, go to the Bear episode on YouTube, make a comment that enters you. We're going to pick a winner next week, so stay tuned for that, and good luck, everyone. And in the meantime, be sure to go to MoviePosters.com for all of your poster needs and use our promo code RAIDERS10 to get 10% off your order right now. Now let's get into our movie quote competition. Anthony, you ready? Ready. What's the matter, Danny? Never taken a shortcut before. The world's end. No. Wait, wait. Hold on, say it again. What's the matter, Danny? Oh, fucking Charlotte ne- dead. No. Wait. Never taken a shortcut before. Hot fuzz. Yes. He <laughs> <laughs> goes through the whole Garnetto trilogy. <laughs> wait, that's not. Oh my God, you're right. Wait. He does. It's so hot fuzz. He yeah. says to Danny, never taken a shortcut before. Because then, then he does. The flips, Angel does. Yes, the, yeah, yeah. He does the flips over the fences. Uh-huh. Shaun of the Dead. They... Doesn't he say the same thing? He says he says that in Shaun of the Dead. Never taken a shortcut before. I don't. And then he like he like smirks in front of everyone, and, and then, then he runs to the run... fence. And right? then he falls down. Right. No, no, I, it, it's Hot Fuzz. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it is definitely Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz right. because then Angle does like the flips over it and he's fine. Uh-huh. Then Danny just trips and falls through it. I feel like there's a similar thing in Shaun of the Dead when they're going over fences. They are going over he, fences. And he brags about it at first. Though. Because they have to get to the Winchester and they look over. They, he climbs up the, the slide, the children's slide, <laughs> to look over. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is, it's it's uh, Hot Fuzz, yeah. Sure. It's fucking so funny. <laughs> I love that. Uh, okay, what's, here's my quote. <clears throat> Wood Dead at Worst So Simple. Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were? 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 So simple. Would that it were? No. Would that it were? Would that it were? Would that it were? This is Hail Caesar. It's great. Ray Fiennes is so funny, and then Alden Ehrenreich. He's the he's the actor in that scene. If you haven't seen it, it's my favorite scene of that movie, and. Ray Fiennes is playing the director, and he's trying to get him to say the word correctly, the words correctly, but he can't act, and it's so funny. And then it gets to the point where he can't do it. He's like, it was my mistake. It was a directing error. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> he's like trying to move on. It's so funny. It's good. It's one of my favorite old Hollywood movies for sure. It has a 6.3 on IMDb. Hail Caesar? Yes. Jesus Christ. People don't like it. It's an excellent I movie. I love that movie. It's really good. Yeah. All right, movie pop quiz. Oh, oh I'm you sorry. skipped the year. Movie release year. What year did I Love You, Man come out? 2009. Yeah. Yes. Got it, man. Great movie. 
We see how he has like the jack off station is what it is. In his, in his Pete, Pete, I have a, I have a, I, Pete, I have a masturbation. Station. I think it's his jack off station. Pete, I have a jack off station. <laughs> he's got he's got lotion on one end table and it's the a, tissues on the other. It's like end a love, yeah, a little reclining seat. And I love their obsession with Rush. Slapping the best. You were licking each other's bases. <laughs> Lots of guys were licking the other guys' bases. <laughs> That's a good comedy. It is. That's funny. a really good comedy. It's funny man. I love that movie. All right, what year did Blue Jasmine come out? 2009. 13. Oh. <laughs> All right, movie pop quiz time. In Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, Paul Rudd plays a famous musician rock star from the 60s and 70s. Who did he play? Which, which Beatle was he? Hold on, let me think. He was... So Justin Long played Ringo, I think. Rudd and uh, who did Rudd play? I'm gonna go with Paul Rudd played John. He did play John, yes! and you're yes! absolutely right, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> that was a terrible John Lennon. John Lennon. <laughs> It's an attempt. <laughs> oh my god! I've never so bad. done a John Lennon impression. It's so bad. It wasn't that bad. With the Beatles, Beatles. Was that? Is that a John Lennon impression? It sure was. It's better than yours. It's a pretty good John Lennon. Yeah, thanks. You probably practice. Oh, I just love the Beatles. Yeah. If <laughs> <laughs> he uh, listens to old music. <laughs> All right. What was Park Chin Wook's American film debut? Was this, what was his American movie? Oh, um, Stoker. Yes. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Great. That was one of the first Park Chan-wook movies I saw. Yeah. Who's that? Uh, uh, Wasikowski? Matthew Good, uh, Mia Wasikowski, and Nicole Kidman. Yeah, it's really great. I haven't seen it in a while. I got, I got to rewatch it. Yeah. What was that, 2009? 20, 2011, maybe? Something like that. Yeah. It's a great movie. Or you thought you did. It was a good... I, I mean, had a, I had a thing it's a toughie. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. wait I, know, I know this. Yeah, yeah. People don't talk about that movie at all. You know, Park Chan-wook, baby. All right, who do we got for Raider haters, Anthony? Any, Raider any haters, haters? Any unsubscribes? What oh, we yeah. got cooking this We got week? a little bit of both. We got both real haters and unsubscribers. And <laughs> it's pretty funny stuff. All right, so I did a movie bracket on TikTok, and it was a horror draft. And I put uh, – I ended up having The Exorcist win, but I, I did pick Jaws over The Shining. And then Brooklyn Skywalker – she wrote, Jaws over The Shining, unsubscribed. <laughs> and then cost, uh, Jacob wrote, Jaws over The Evil Dead, unsubscribed. <laughs> yes, I love Jaws, everyone. It's the best. It's an amazing fucking movie. It's the perfect, it's the perfect horror movie. And then, one second. Da, 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 da. Well, I wouldn't say it's the perfect horror movie. Okay, it's, I think it's... It's a perfect movie. It's a perfect, movie, it's a perfect yeah. monster movie. Yeah. But like, yes, it is true, a horror movie. True, true. And then T also wrote, so many unsubscribes from this post. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got some real haters on the prestige clip that I posted. Neolithic wrote, "Dude watched a movie and understood it." Yeah, well, that's a, that. That's like English teachers be like, "So you posted a clip where we were explaining the plot of the prestige, which is still heavily confusing for a lot of people." Half the people Trust have different us, opinions in the comments. We've posted a lot of content on the prestige. Half the time, people disagree with what is actually happening yes. in that movie when it's so. For clear. example, there's a guy in the comments who said, "No, they aren't spoilers." 
Warning, it's spoilers. spoilers. There's a guy in the comments who said, no, they aren't twins because of the top hats. And I was like, who, no. Alfred and... Yeah. And, I, and then I had to explain, those are Christian Bale characters or twins, and then the roles that Hugh Jackman plays are clones. And he, this guy was like, oh, sorry, I didn't realize that. So people get confused about it all the time. And then another one was... Uh, Someone um, thought that the the Bordens were clones. Yes, once a lot and of I was people like do. they're fucking twins. A lot, no, a lot they of people They literally explain it. A brother. A lot of people think that Alfred cloned himself back in the day Did somehow. Not. Because entire because, life. No, it's because in it's because he lied about Tesla building him a machine. Yeah, as could, a way yeah. to get Angie on a false scent. And a lot of people don't understand that that was a lie that he said. Yeah. They say it in the goddamn movie that it was a lie. Yeah. And that well, it was a, fa a false trail. People should get off their phones when they're watching movies. <laughs> yeah, they should. And then Ulemi wrote, waiting for the great insight most of us overlooked. <laughs> Haters. Haterade, baby. Haterade. <laughs> and then uh, Jenna Chica wrote, my new favorite hobby is being in a car and suddenly having you two screaming at me about Killian Murphy's balls. Resubscribe. <laughs> 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 Oh, yeah, because we were talking about how everyone made a huge deal out of Florence Pugh being nude and yeah. Oppenheimer and Anthony's like, yeah, well, we saw Killings Murphy's balls in IMAX. <laughs> Nobody cared. No one cared. <laughs> so you get it again. <laughs> That's a good one. And then MK wrote in our virgins clip about Anakin being a virgin in the force. MK wrote, who cares? He's a virgin. <laughs> so is Anthony unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny one. That's, that's great. That's a good one. <laughs> all right, that's all of them. Well, speaking of TikTok, uh, we made new accounts on there. I have my own personal movie account now called James Love James Loves Movies. Follow it, James from Raiders. So feel free to check that out. So just post some more movie content because our our main account is just so many goddamn issues. We, we with don't it. get any views anymore. Yeah, we just can't go viral anymore. So <laughs> we're nothing. like, we should probably make some other accounts. It's a struggle. So we're actually doing pretty good. We so we made a backup account for TikTok for the podcast. It's called Raiders Lost Pod. That's the TikTok handle, Raiders Lost Pod. So it's the same as like our Twitter handle and our Letterbox handle. And then I also have one called Anthony underscore Dev. Anthony Dev. I so. guess you don't like movies. I, well, Anthony has so many syllables in it. James yeah. has one syllable. It's true. I don't want to have sixteen syllables in my in my user username. It'd be a lot of syllables. How about we get to a five star review? That sounds lovely. On Apple, so we have we're at one point eight. I mean, 1,800 on, yeah. um, on Apple, Apple so nice. we're close to 2,000 on there. So that. You don't have to leave a written review, but if you're on Apple right now, hit that five-star button. It Please. would really help us so much. I would love to get 2,000 because we're at over 2,000 on Spotify, and I want to get to 3,000 on Spotify. Let's get those numbers up, everybody. We appreciate it, everyone who has done it. But how about this review from – let's see, let's see, let's see. Did this one last week. Did this one the week before. Did this one the week before. James came prepared. I did come prepared. Okay, here we go. Oh, Leplavi. The best movie podcast. What's better than this? Just guys being dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for the fire star review. Oh, Leplavi. Love that. Simple <laughs> and sweet. Right to the point. That's all you need. We don't need an essay. Something like that's wonderful. Essays are nice, though. They are nice. We yes. do love essays. Yes. <laughs> all right, let's get back into the Captain America well, trilogy. What's your streaming Oh, my God. I forgot. My streaming recommendation Remember is, you used to do what this day in history? Yeah, it's just so time. So much work. Dude, it takes like fucking 20 minutes to do that. It's just, I'm not doing this I every time. I remember you used to do that. And I'd be like, man, this is a lot. He's going to look all this shit up. Yeah, fuck that shit. On, I used to do on this day in history and it's on film history. Not anymore. Streaming recommendation for me is a movie that just got added to Max. Fantastic, Mr. Fox. 
Don't cuss at me. You cussing at me? You cussing at me? Here, put on this bandit mask. My streaming recommendation is Snowpiercer from Bong Joon-ho, which guess just got put on Prime. I think it's Chris Evans' best performance. He's really fantastic in it, and it's an amazing sci-fi dystopian film. Check it out on Prime. I don't know. He's pretty good in not another teen movie. He is great. You have her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a banana. She's got glasses and a ponytail. <laughs> not JD Briggs. <laughs> it's a banana split. <laughs> he turns around and it's in his ass too. <laughs> Man, a funny, that's a funny movie. It's a funny right? movie. It's a funny ass movie. All right, back into the winter. I mean. Captain America trilogy, and we'll get into Captain America: The Winter Soldier. It came out in 2014. IMDb to 7.8. Rotten Tomatoes 90% critic score, 92% audience score. The budget was 170 million dollars. Box office 714 million dollars globally. This is when Marvel's like, holy crap! Everything outside of Iron Man can also make almost a billion dollars. This is great. And then this was the movie directed by the Russos. Anthony and Joe oh. Russo. And they did a terrific job with this film. Hold on, I want to pull up a quick synopsis for you all. Give me one second. While you second. pull it up, I'll just say Kevin Feige hired them because he liked the community episodes they directed of the food fight. Yeah, that's right. Part one and so, two. So, as Steve Rogers struggles to embrace his role in the modern world, he teams up with a fellow Avenger and S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Black Widow to battle a new threat from history, an assassin known as... The Winter Soldier. And I really, really love this movie. And like I said earlier, it's a top three MCU movie for me personally. It's a personal favorite. And this is post-New York, post-Avengers. I think this also has terrific directing from the Russos, as well as maybe some of the best music and original score in the entire MCU because it's very unique. It's dark. It's cool. It's fun. The Winter Soldier themes are Excellent. The action sequences are excellent. It kind of reminds me of Mad Max Fury Road, what Junkie XL did with that. But I love the music for this film. We get some new characters. We got Sam Wilson Falcon coming in here. Tons of Black Widow with Natasha Romanoff. We got Nick Fury coming in here. Peggy in her elderly stages, as well as Alexander Pierce, played by Robert Redford. Who else can you need in a movie besides the goat, man? It's so cool to see him in this movie. It's uh, actually a calling card to Three Days in the Condor. Three Days of the Condor, which was inspired by... Um, by so three days of the condor redford plays a cia analyst whose company who, whose outfit gets killed and so he goes on the run and he's the uh, the government thinks he did it so it, this film and the russo said they used it as inspiration for like a jumping off point for it so it may it only made sense to cast him so it's interesting if this is the the condor movie then the first one's kind of an indiana jones movie yes. the third one's a jason bourne movie yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really Jesus is. Christ. It's Jason Bourne. Jesus Christ. It's Captain America. So the music I think is fantastic. I'm glad you pointed it out. Henry Jackman did it. And what he did really set itself apart from anything in the Marvel films before. Because the Marvel films were all brass, string heavy, very heroic themes. Very traditional kind of music. But then with uh, Winter Soldier, we get incredible electronic music. We get that great Winter Soldier theme. Some fun action. Just like electronic. Just like... Like kind of like taking a little off from the book of Hans Zimmer esque kind of action movie scores and John Powell with the Bourne films. So for me, this was the best Avengers score at the time, and there have been a couple of others really fantastic ones as well. But this really was separated itself to show a new tone and a new color to the sound of a Marvel film. And then obviously with the Russos, with the action, with the the stunts, with the practical filmmaking. 
with the real stunt work, real fight sequences, and then the hand-to-hand -hand combat, it's really fantastic. Obviously, Endgame has that amazing final battle, but I really like the intimate, personal hand-to-hand -hand combat in this film. The knife fight is fucking awesome. And then also the final, I mean, there's a couple other fights, but that knife fight on the streets between Bucky and Steve I think is a highlight of the MCU and one of the best fights of all time. And in combat, that opening mission where, you know, Steve just jumps out of the helicopter. He wasn't wearing a parachute, was he? He was not. <laughs> and then him just taking out all the guys on that ship because obviously Avengers, that movie, we got great combat and everything. But this was a different style of combat we saw from Captain America of what it actually would look like if a superhuman was beating the crap out of humans. And it's awesome. They're like... They're like weightless beings to him. He's just smashing the hell out of them. It's so cool. It's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Gertie. <laughs> and it's fun. <laughs> and I, I like how they brought this kind of new combat style to Captain America. And it was a blast. And Natasha coming in. But that opening mission is excellent. I mean, Captain America throws a, a knife through a guy's hand. That's awesome. fucking sick. Where's awesome. that Ben? I miss it, baby. I miss the action. I miss the gunfights. There's so many bullets being sprayed in this movie. And you're right. The fight between Bucky and Cap before he knows it's Bucky at first, before he flips him, flips him over, his mask falls off. With the Winter Soldier, that's one of the best fights in the entire MCU. And there's no guns in it. It's yeah. just them two with a knife for the most part, and just, or hand-to-hand. -hand. Yeah, because it doesn't have to do with superpowers or strength. It's really just fighting ability, um, the bare bones of it, because they're equally matched. So, And I also think that... The, the Winter Soldier design is fantastic. The long hair, the mask, and then the the bionic arm is just fantastic. I love it. It looks really cool. And it's an imposing force. He is, he's like kind of like a scary villain. Like when he shows up in scenes and you hear that great, that great theme, he is a force to be reckoned with. And that's something that I, I think we were kind of missing in the MCU because it's, it's not a CGI character. It's a person who's really there, standing there, and he's that dangerous. So I think that the Winter Soldier is an all-time villain for the Marvel Universe. Very formidable foe yeah. for Captain America, for Steve Rogers, who's, you could say, he's got a little more to him. He's got a little more edge. He's got a little more fire. And you could say one-on-one -on -one in the first act of the movie, he could probably take Steve Rogers. But I think Steve obviously transforms a little bit emotionally and, you know, obviously is able to defeat him later on in the movie, basically. I mean, could Steve take him without the shield at first? Yeah, probably know. not. That's what that's what's so cool about it. But they're they're counters. They're exactly matching. You know, the arm represents the shield. They're both made of vibranium, right? His arm's made of vibranium, I believe, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So it's it's a really fascinating character and he's such a badass. And you know, Winter Soldier Bucky in this movie and then Civil War are he's epic. And I kind of was watching these movies the other day. I'm like, what happened to the Winter Soldier? He was such a badass, so powerful. He's fucking up Tony Stark. He's fucking up Iron Man. Yeah. He's, he's messing everybody up. And he kind of just fizzles out towards the later phases of the MCU. And then I don't love what they do to him in the TV show. He's just kind of there in the later films. And then in the TV Falcon, show. Falcon Winter Soldier, he's just like a guy in a lot of ways. He's got some cool scenes and fight scenes. But like what they did with Bucky in these two movies was Excellent. The power was there. The ferocity. The I see the, the ferocity. <laughs> I see the League of Shadows. I see ideology. <laughs> but you're right because Bucky and the Winter Soldier, he was like a fan favorite because of this movie. Yeah. And then he ended up being like 10th in line 
for the latter films, like tenth most important. Not even. He's not, like yeah, not even top fifteen. He's like C class. They put him in. Yeah, because he he's epic in these movies. I forgot how cool he was. And you're right. The design's excellence. But also what Steve is going through with discovering the fact that the Winter Soldier, this person who's everyone's trying to find, he's coming after them and is attacking Nick Fury. It's Bucky. It's been Bucky this whole time, and Bucky doesn't recognize him. And Nick Fury is excellent in this movie, too. Sam L. It might be his best movie as the character. This is the best film for Nick Fury. He is fantastic. He has a lot to do. We get to do, see him doing some fighting, some action. I think that for any of the MCU movies, this is my favorite performance of Nick Fury. This has several of the best action sequences in the entire MCU. I mean, the elevator fight with Cap against his own men is awesome. It's so cool. It's so memorable. Everyone loves it. Nick Fury being attacked, the car chase, the 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 guns, the the shielding of the car. It's an awesome chase sequence. Yeah. It's clever. It's just badass and so many bullets getting sprayed. It's absolutely epic, but Nick Nick Fury getting his hands dirty and then you see what they've done to him since then. It's just like, oh, God damn it. I will say, there's one thing I don't like about the Nick Fury chase sequence is there's this thing that some films do that when characters get away and then the villains stop chasing them for some reason. <laughs> like, so when Winter Soldier flips over Fury's truck and it turns over on its on, uh, upside down and then Winter Soldier's like, I'm going to fucking kill this dude. So he walks over to the SUV and he rips the door off. And Fury is gone, and Winter Soldier looks inside, and Fury had cut a hole in the pavement and probably went down to the sewers. And, and, and then Winter Soldier's like, all right, he's gone. Why don't I, Why doesn't he chase him? Because you can't get your middle arm wet. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want it to rust. That's, a, that's something that some films do in action sequences where I'm like, they can continue the chase. And he would catch him. Yeah, <laughs> like why is he not chasing him down this huge hole into the sewers? Fury's probably five feet away from him. So that's the that's moment where I'm like, oh, it was so perfect until the ending of that sequence. Plot, baby. Plot. But this yeah. movie has a really solid plot because everyone's going after the Black Widow. I mean, uh, the Winter Soldier. As well as something's going on with S.H.I.E.L.D. where Nick Fury gets taken out. Nick Fury gets attacked, hides at Cap's apartment, waiting for him, and then he gets shot three times in the chest by the Winter Soldier. Pretty bad. And presumably dies in this film and alexander pierce played by robert redford who took a seat on the board at shield out of requests from nick fury because they trusted each other they're old friends he every time something bad happens too nice every time something bad happens to somebody it's after he got news he didn't want to hear whether it's from nick fury wanting to shut down this massive program they have going on called project insight with these aim gunship carriers and you know nick fury wanted this quantum surge and threat analysis in defense of the earth cap doesn't like this after he shows it to him but nick fury becomes hesitant about it after speaking with cap and asks pierce to delay it let's not do it yet i want to make sure the kinks get taken out alexander pierce says yeah no problem just make sure that iron man comes to my niece's birthday party now. i don't want to fly by i want him you know mingling then what happens to nick he gets attacked same thing with cap Cap goes to see Nick Fury, I mean, goes to see Pierce after Fury gets killed. And he realizes, you know, Cap's not being truthful about why Nick Fury was there at his apartment. What happens to Cap next? Gets attacked in the elevator. So it all starts to add up that, I, you know, Nick, Fu I mean, Alexander Pierce is clearly 
the guy behind everything. Nefarious circumstances. And he's great. He hides it well. And Robert Redford's a charismatic actor and one of the best. And, you know, we find out eventually that he's Hydra. He's And Hydra has been growing inside of S.H.I.E.L.D. since Zola, Dr. Zola, was recruited by the U.S. government to be a part of S.H.I.E.L.D. And this is a great metaphor for German scientists and engineers coming to America and building government programs here. And obviously not building like Nazi Germany in America, <laughs> but they take it to the next level here where Hydra has been the sleeping dragon hiding in plain sight for the whole time, waiting for its moment to take over. And with Project Insight, these gunships that can target anyone with the algorithm, with Zola's algorithm, it can target anybody around the world, take out millions of people by the minutes. They can control the entire Earth. Yeah, it's a great conflict. And then we also get... A lot of great Natasha Romanoff and Black Widow scenes. And I really enjoy uh, Steve and Natasha. And there's a way, like, Natasha getting together with Bruce, it had it never worked for me because they had no chemistry, and then they just shoehorned it in. The romance, like, wait, she loves him? What? But her and Steve have so much chemistry, and I think they... ScarJo and Evans, they, they work really well in scenes together. Part of me always wished that they got together as opposed to Natasha and Hulk. But maybe Natasha and Branner, because, but maybe because Steve and Natasha are too similar in a lot of ways. But I just always felt like they had a better relationship than Bruce I, and I Natasha. Don't, I mean, part of me does, but also at the same time, I think it works fine as them just being yeah. good friends. Oh, I, yeah, think, yeah. I think that works great, just being platonic partners in crime, basically. or, or Very hot platonic partners. Yeah, very, very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> they kiss in this movie, and uh, that's not exactly how I would describe it. Um, but what's he say? She Is said, that your first kiss since, no, <laughs> being, since 1945? <laughs> that bad, huh? Um, <laughs> I don't mind that they never got together, and I think it would have been too obvious, and it would have just created so much emotional baggage for the characters going forward, I think. I think it works better, better as them just being friends. Well, I, I get, I mean, I think it, I totally agree. But also, she has that platonic friendship with Hawkeye. So she already has that. So I don't, I don't think it would have been too bad to actually pursue that. But I think that Peggy was always the girl. Well, yeah, but she's dead. Peggy's always the girl, though. I think they maybe they had the plan of him going back in time for a while. Who knows? Maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe. But I think, I think it wouldn't have worked out. And I think it's better that they didn't get together. Yeah, you know, don't want to jeopardize the friendship. You don't want to jeopardize the world. Yeah, but she has some great scenes, and I I think that ScarJo's so talented to get her more screen time. It just worked inserting her into this film. And then also we obviously get Mackie as Sam in Falcon in this film, an excellent addition to the MCU, who's now a major player as the new Captain America. And I think that Sam and Ev I think Mackie and Evans and Scarlet, they have a lot of camaraderie and chemistry on screen together as a trio which is another reason why this film is a real strength. I love when they're on the run, and where do they go? They go to this guy that Cap runs around the Washington Monument Runs circles around. <laughs> yeah. He just ran 13 miles don't say in 30 it. minutes. Don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. On your left. On your left. <laughs> also, the modernization of Cap, I think right away in the opening of the film, seeing him wear an Under Armour shirt, it helps us. Un I think it's, it was smart to give him an Under Armour shirt, or it could have been Nike or whatever, but to show that he he is adapting to the modern world. 
And this movie's really funny in that great joke with Mackie and the, with Falcon in the opening where he tells about Marvin Gaye, Troublemaker soundtrack, 1972, it's all you need to know. Everything you need to know uh, put into one album. And he opens his little book and he's got all the things that people have been telling him and yeah. he adds that to the list. But there's things like St- Steve Jobs, Apple, and what else? Berlin Wall's on Berlin it. Wall, yeah. up and down. So yeah. it's, it's actually a really funny joke. But this movie has tons of great humor. And I think this I think was, Tarantino referenced in it too. Maybe. This is like peak... MCU humor for a lot of ways, like this era, phase three, going into phase phase two, phase three, where jokes were always landing, and they weren't they overwhelming. It wasn't sarcastic. It was sarcastic, but Some, it wasn't but, overwhelming yeah. to the point where every goddamn line felt like feels like it has a joke in there now, where they picked their spots really well in these movies back in these phases of the MCU. It wasn't overwhelming. There's maybe one or two every scene. But it didn't take away from the moments. It didn't take away from the emotional depth of what the characters are talking about and added to it. And they didn't always, they weren't always like trying to be the funniest joke ever. They were just like funny little digs and they were a blast. And I think that's something that the MCU has lost of doing great humor at the right moments where now it's just overwhelming. They're trying so hard well, to yeah, putting, yeah. putting them in there. Now it's just like every scene has too much, too many jokes where it used to be like a film like Winter Soldier. There are scenes with a lot of jokes, and then there's scenes with no jokes. And it lets you take in the dramatic resonance of, like, a more uh, intense scene or a scene of conflict or a scene of tragedy without having the quip to level it out, which takes you out of moments like that. Nowadays, where every MCU movie, every scene has a quote. It's almost every other line is a joke in a way. So in this film, it's I, th- I agree. It's balanced much better, and it's... It weaves in and out of the comedy really seamlessly. And there's a lot of emotional moments in this film, obviously, with Nick Fury getting killed and everyone taking that news horribly, of course, and watching him die on the on the medical table, on the surgery table, as well as Peggy and Steve. You know, we find he finds out, you know, he's been asleep for 70 years, but he discovers that there's still somebody alive. He knew Peggy is still alive. However, she has dementia. She talks to Steve for a couple minutes, and it's really sweet, but then... Her memory disappears, and she comes back. She sees Steve, and she's like, you came back, and she's very emotional. It's it's really sad. It's really tragic to see, obviously, that he can see her again, but that she can barely even focus on what's happening. Yeah, it's a very, very sad, touching scene. It's I think that the audience, we, we do a great job. They did a great job of connecting the audience to Rogers emotionally, and Peggy is really the way in for him in a lot of ways, to connect to him and relate to him and understand emotionally what's happening within him and Evans is a wonderful performer but Haley Atwell is excellent as well they're they're great in scenes together and this was one of the earlier Avenger MCU movies where we have some floating ships that need to get taken down it's just been done too many times commonality at that time it's been done too many times I mean we got in Black Widow we got in Guardians of the Galaxy 3 Avengers there's just too many of these floating ships that need to get destroyed but here it was refreshing. It wasn't like anything overdone yet. It was yet. only the second time. Yeah, so it worked <laughs> fine. And it's a good plan. I think, you know, Nick Fury is afraid of being seriously ungunned by the threats out there. So he creates this program, this Project Insights. And this is obviously the moment that Hydra sees to take over control of the entire planet. Because as they're talking to Dr. Zola's basically uh, AI in that bunker, it's it's like a, what's uh, <laughs> like an old school AI kind of. He's been put. He's been put on these yeah, yeah. massive computers. Retro, yeah. retro AI. Yeah. And Zola's like, Hydra's been hiding in plain sight ever since they recruited me. I've been basically 
keeping Hydra alive, and this was their plan. Bite off, cut off one head, and two more, two more were spread out because everyone thought Hydra was dead, but it's clearly not dead. And his algorithm is this targeting system. And even though Zola gets destroyed when they try to kill Captain America and Black Widow in the bunker, Alexander Pierce still has the Winter Soldier as his main asset, which we discover when he's hiding inside of his house that they're friends. They're buddies. Want some milk? <laughs> oh, Renata, I wish he would have knocked. <laughs> Kills his own maid. Uh-huh. Messed up. So Alexander Pierce is Hydra. They have this really great plan to take over the world with Project Insight, but what they have to do, what the team has to do, is they have to hijack and override the systems of Project Insight in order to bring those ships down in, to safety. Yeah, and on, on top of the car chases, there are some great foot chases, and I really enjoy the... The Winter Soldier, when after he gets, after he shoots uh, Fury, and Cap chases him around, and then Cap reach, reaches that last rooftop and looks down, and Winter Soldier's gone. There was like a, they did a great job of portraying like this guy is such a super assassin. Not even Cap can really catch this guy, and that's where I think we're we're talking about where we lost that with Bucky in the later films of being so incredible that even Cap is struggling to keep up with him. And with the Winter Soldier being this ultimate asset for Hydra, it's really interesting the relationship between Alexander Pierce and him where he says, basically, I need you to reshape. You've reshaped a century. I need you to do it again. So with the Winter Soldier is the soldier that we're discovering who constantly gets woken up and frozen, woken up, or not frozen, put to sleep, woken up, put to sleep until he's ready to be used as a weapon, shaping the centuries, shaping governments, shaping the world. It's fascinating to see that this one person is as powerful as like a nuclear warhead. And you, that same conflict in Civil War where the end, the end conflict is Zemo's trying to wake up five others. And it's like, that's horribly we dangerous. Think. We think yeah. that's what he's trying to do. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, that's true. And so... Bucky is a great character. We get great hints of he recognizes Steve. He said Bucky. And he's like, who's Bucky? But he's starting to remember things. And what do they do? They erase his memory again. So basically, we're starting to learn that he can remember who Steve is. He's in there somewhere. Bucky's <sighs> James Barnes. Bucky is in there somewhere. And there's only a matter of time to take him out. And Steve won't give up on the possibility that his friend is still alive inside of that body. That Bucky is in there deep down. And he'll die trying to get his friend out. And Bucky, he does save Steve at the end. You know, underwater. He rescues Steve. And and that leads into the second film where he's like, why'd you save me? He's like, I don't know. Seemed like, I don't know. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything else. He's like, he's not sure. There's just humanity inside of him that Chris, I mean, that Steve can see. And then there's a, as amazing as the first hour and a half of the film is, we do get the big CGI third act, which I think is... It still it works and it's good, but it's it's incomparable to the action scenes of the first uh, half of the film. I think. Yeah, I mean you gotta go big. You wish that they would kind of keep it small for some stuff, but it's, it's superhero. It movie. is what it is. Yeah, yeah it is yeah, what it is. Yeah. You, gotta, you gotta accept it because yeah. the first hour and a half of this movie, first hours is freaking great because it's so small in scope. It's very personal, like you said. Like the fight sequences are very personal. You feel like you're there. And I like them so much. And then we have the the final Bucky fight in, in the ship with Steve and Bucky, and it's excellent. And like you said, they they crash and, and fall into the water, and Bucky saves him. It's a it's a great conclusion, 
and but I do like the other fight better between Bucky and Steve. Yeah, I think it's just yeah. so much cooler. There's the there because there's the thing of like one character, one character's trying to basically push a button. Yeah, and th- there's always like that fight rarely feels as good as another fight because like sometimes Cap or will or whatever character in this same kind of context they'll they'll give up a moment where they could easily take out the villain, but they're gonna go for the button instead. And sometimes it's just like, just finish the job and then push the button. <laughs> just finish. You could take this dude out, but no, they go for the button. Conflict, man. And then the guy pulls him away. That happens a lot. Conflict. Falcon's awesome in this movie. Like, yeah. when the final battle, when they're taking over the ships, Falcon has so many great sequences of being chased by jets and taking guys out. Falcon marks a bunch of dudes with some cool machine He's guns He's happy as to well. blow people up. Yeah, yeah, so like Winter Soldier, we're still killing people with guns, and I love it. Yeah, because... Bad guys with guns, yes. killing bad guys. Yeah, because for he's a soldier, and it's like this is like a, a war zone for him, so he's just gonna take out dudes. And he's a human; he's yeah. not an enhanced being. Which I I love Falcon so much, but I feel like he's been ter- he ter- they turned him too much into an enhanced being who's not enhanced. Okay, in Civil War, he kicks a helicopter's uh, tail, and he's, well, he's fine. flying though, right? Yeah, but he he literally kicks it, and in the the helicopter spins. Yeah, like come on. The, he's, yeah. he's he's still a human. That's the thing with the humans later. I think specifically with Falcon is he's it's like he's enhanced, but he's not now. Yeah. In a lot of it's ways, it's the same thing as Doc Ock and Spider Man too. Like if Spider Man really kicked him in the face, his face would break open. Yeah, but Get Doc, accepted. yeah, yeah. So that's Doc Ock is treated the same way as as Sam Falcon in this in the films of the MCU, where he's he he does have in a way superhuman abilities the way he is fighting. But it's not, he doesn't. That's I was watching Civil War and he literally like jump kicked a helicopter. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> he, he's got the wings, but he's still just a dude. Yeah, I don't think Black Widow jump kicked a helicopter <laughs> or, or Hawkeye. But I mean, Hawkeye and Black Widow are insanely trained and skilled, and Falcon's insanely skilled with flying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm just saying sometimes it just pushes the limits of believability a couple of times. Um, that's why I'm very curious about Captain America 4. I want to I want to see what this character is going to be like he's got no in a serum. movie, not like a yeah. not like a series, but like I want to see what it's like in a movie. The production is just always so much bigger. And so Winter Soldier is great and I love the post-credit scene. Well, the, the ending scene is uh Nick Fury is alive at his cemetery obviously with the tombstone that has the the quote from Pulp Fiction, Ezekiel and the post credit scene for this movie is the twins, Quicksilver oh, yeah. and Scarlet Witch, hanging out in their cells doing crazy stuff. And, yeah, I think that killing Quicksilver was the biggest mistake the MCU made. <laughs> biggest mistake they made. I got some fun facts. So Nick Fury relates the story of his grandfather being an elevator operator in the film. Now, in real life, Sam Jackson's grandfather was an actual elevator operator. Anthony Mackie's appearance in this film fulfills his dream of playing a MCU character, he wrote a series of emails pleading Marvel for a role, wanting to play any comic book character that it would appear on film. So he was like, let me play any role. Although the studio repeatedly replied to him that they will respond in due time, Mackey's emails caught the attention of producer Kevin Feige, who subsequently offered him the role of Sam Wilson, a.k.a. Falcon. Very cool. What was Mackey's biggest role up until that point? I'm trying to think. Um, Mackie was in, he was just supporting roles in a bunch of things. As a lead, I can't picture, I can't imagine. Not as a lead. He's in a bunch of stuff, but yeah, yeah I'm he's trying in, to look he's at He's in a lot of small roles. So before 2014, 
The pain and gain, that was a pretty big role. That was before 2014? Yeah, it was 2013. Gangster Squad, Real Steel, Eagle Eye, The Hurt Locker. The Hurt Locker Hurt is Locker, probably yeah. his biggest yeah, Hurt role. Locker. That's you know, it's Oscar-winning yeah. movies, and We Are Marshall. Yeah, The Hurt Locker is the one. He has a he has a great role in Hurt Locker. He's got a small role in Million Dollar Baby. He plays one of the boxers. And, but yeah, that was a huge Oh, Papa Doc in 8 Mile. Oh, yeah, of course. He gets destroyed. Clarence has really nice parents. <laughs> Robert Redford wanted to do this film because his grandchildren are fans of Marvel films, and he wanted them to see him in one. I love now, that. The scene where Captain America jumps out of the plane without bothering to use a parachute is an homage to a similar scene from the first issue of the Ultimates comic. Should we get into Captain America Civil War? Let's do it. All right, this came out in 2016. IMDb, it's a 7.8. Rotten Tomatoes, 91% critic score, 89% audience score. On a budget of $250 million, it grossed $1.15 billion at the box office. Directed by Anthony and Joe Russo. This is basically the MCU's version of a Jason Bourne movie. And here's a good synopsis from Respect the Hyphen. With many people fearing the actions of superheroes, the government of the UN decides to push for the Superhero Registration Act a law that limits a hero's actions. This results in a division in the Avengers. Iron Man stands with this act, claiming the the Zakovia Accords, right? That their actions must be kept in check, otherwise cities will continue to be destroyed. But Captain America feels that saving the world is daring enough and that they cannot rely on the government to protect the world. This escalates into an all-out war between Team Iron Man, which is Iron Man, Black Panther, Vision, Black Widow, War Machine, and Spider-Man, and Team Captain America. Captain America, Bucky Barnes, Falcon, Scarlet Witch, Hawkeye, and Ant-Man. Well, a new villain emerges. And obviously this is the film where Thor and Hulk were missing. And then we learned why. And YTT made that fun little video of, of Thor <laughs> in Australia. <laughs> um, but real quick, I meant to say the success and the love of Winter Soldier is what made Hemsworth want to change Thor for Ragnarok. And I remember seeing I would watch I love watching press interviews with actors and directors and and they paired up Hemsworth and Evans for Ultron. And then everybody kept commenting on how much they loved Winter Soldier, and it got to the point I I saw an interview where they the interviewer said Hey, Winter Soldier was amazing. Congrats on that. And then Hemsworth is like this entire press tour. Everybody's just saying Winter Soldier's amazing. Winter Soldier's <laughs> amazing. And so I think deep down Hemsworth was like I want to try to one-up Winter Soldier. So I think that's what led to Ragnarok. And I love this movie for in terms of the plot. It's basically like a little bit of an origin story for the Winter Soldier, how he's this weapon that gets awakened from time to time. He, and he's making... His actions cause the change of the it world. It opens Rip, with that, Ripple yeah. effects of the world. And also we get this great conflict of the death of Tony Stark's parents and how we eventually find out that it was... Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, obviously while he was brainwashed by the Soviets to do it, he killed Tony's parents. And there's this massive ripple in the world where I think is a little overblown with Zakovia, obviously from Ultron, the city that gets slipped into the air and then dropped, where now the world is against the Avengers because they're blaming the Avengers for the mass casualties and destruction of these events. Yeah, so New York, Sokovia, D.C. So D.C. being the Winter Soldier one. I understand it, but I've 
that scene of the general of the secretary showing them footage from all the disasters and then we cut to they keep cutting to the members of the avengers of like with like oh man shit we did that like looks on their faces i'm always like i understand it but also they literally save the world each time like obviously there's collateral damage but like it's better than loki ruling the world so i understand it but i'm also like they literally saved billions of lives yeah it's it's a it's an ambiguous kind of decision and you know there are two sides to every story and i think vision has a great insight into what's happening where he says the number of enhanced beings has gone up it's been skyrocketing and with that more mass destruction more cause and effects yeah causality causality yeah are we the cause of this you know if people see the strength of our numbers and how strong we are it's going to introduce conflict so there are two sides to the story that you kind of can empathize with but at the same time would you want the world to be taken over by ultron would you want the world to be taken over by hydra would you want the world to be taken over by loki and aliens it's it's a tough thing to debate and you know i think one of the the the, be- the better things they did to show this at a smaller scale is that opening mission in nigeria where cap doesn't notice the bomb on what's his name's chest and he's gonna kill himself and cap with the explosion sets it off scarlet witch grabs the bomb explosion with her uh, powers throws it into a building saves captain rogers captain america but kills dozens of civilians inside that in that building so that's a small scale quick example of the destruction of being a hero and what can happen and that's obviously the yes. main conflict with man of steel yeah. and in that franchise going forward of like a lot of people love superman a lot of people hate superman because of what happened in new york batman despises superman because he brought this destruction to them same thing causality because he's there zod came there and destroyed their city same thing with this because these avengers are here that's what's bringing these threats they needed to do that opening uh, ca- uh, casualty scene to get the audience in behind it because every other event of collateral damage was saving the world whereas this event of collateral damage was just to stop these bad guys from getting this thing and so they had to throw that scene in to get to get the Sokovia Accords to kind of work um, in terms of a narrative structure. I kind of and I understand that, but I also I think that it's a little too much when that woman outside the elevator with Tony says that you killed my son. He was in Sokovia. It's like, dude, he didn't lift the the planet up. He didn't lift the city up in the air. It wasn't Tony that lifted it up. So, but at the same time, causality. Tony technically, actually, Tony could say. I mean, he created Ultron. In it to yeah, an extent, yeah. so uh, that is actually on Tony. If you think about that it, that one's on Tony. Yeah, that one is on Tony. <laughs> Which is why I think Tony agrees with the Sokovia Accords. Now, the, yeah. so, the Sokovia Accords say basically that the UN will be in control of the Avengers and any superhuman being that tries to take the law into their own hands to be a vigilante will be persecuted by the law. I am the law. And I they, think it would have been cool to see public hearings of congress questioning members of the avengers besides just black widow yeah at the end so like multi, like all of them being kind of like on trial in a hearing setting public everybody's watching it i think that would have been an interesting like five minute little montage to show how much the world was against them and to really show 
that people want to have them kind of uh, under a leash. Yeah. In Sokovia Accords, they split the Avengers up. Captain America, Steve Rogers, does not agree with them, but Tony does. And so basically we have these two teams that we brought up earlier. And we have great introductions of characters. We get Spider-Man in here. We get Black Panther in here. And I think the story does a really good job of creating the conflict of the Winter Soldier being the one to blame for everything, basically, for the death of T'Chaka, for the death of Tony's parents, which he finds out later on. And everyone's going after the Winter Soldier because he's the one that's doing these terror attacks, or they think. They think it's Bucky Barnes. They don't realize that there are multiple Winter Soldiers. They don't know that yet. They don't know that Zemo is pulling the strings. But Steve believes his friend. Steve believes that Bucky is innocent, that he's being framed, because Bucky has been a, away from the programs and everything for a long time, and he seems normal. He's getting his memory back. and He's been away from Treadstone for a yeah. really long time. <laughs> <laughs> Look what they make you give. <laughs> and him and Steve, it's like they're old buddies again. He's getting his memory back and his, their chemistry back, and he's becoming a human again in a lot of ways until he gets captured and Zemo brilliantly shuts down the power and then recites the lines to activate Bucky to have him go AWOL again, basically. But he comes back to whenever he gets hit in the head, he comes back. Yeah. And actually, Sebastian Stan is Romanian, and it was his first language. He, he grew up in Romania. And so in his first scene here, he's ordering food in Romania, and he speaks Romanian. He's actually fluent in the language. It's his, first, lang it's his first language. English Whoa. is his second language. So that's a fun fact. I think they put that in there on purpose to take advantage of a skill that he had. So, yeah, this, this real a perfect Romanian fluent accent that he's saying. That's actually really, I had no idea about that. That's really interesting. This movie has excellent foot chases as well, and I think Bucky and Steve in that apartment is great. That's a great sequence. It's he really goes cool. there to try and warn him, and then it's just them versus the SWAT team. Bucky's in it to save himself and to kill whoever he can, and then Steve is... No, no, Bucky doesn't want to kill anyone. Sorry, sorry, to not kill, but Steve both is just trying to stop Bucky, protect Bucky, but also protect other people from getting hurt. He's trying to find out, like, yeah. what did you do this? And Bucky's trying to tell him, I, didn't, I wasn't in Vienna. I didn't cause that bomb to go off. I wasn't there. And what I love about the apartment scene where they're escaping from the, the tactical teams is these two superpowered beings in a small-scale situation, what would it be like if they were in an apartment fight or in a stairwell and they're just messing these guys up, jumping across the hall and everything, jumping across the, the stairs? And one of my favorite moments is when Bucky grabs the railing and just tears it apart and uses it as kind of like a rope to yeah. swing down through a door. It's so cool. It's great. It's really badass. And then we have that great foot chase to arrest with Bucky, Steve, T'Challa, and Falcon. Yeah, but, yeah, but T'Challa and Bucky fight for a bit, and it's a great foot chase. So the original version of this story, they wrote it with Spider-Man being heavily involved in the story from the get-go in the first act, kind of like Black Panther was. But uh, And they were, they were having just... They originally wrote Black Panther to be a cameo in this film. However, they were having a lot of trouble getting the rights from Sony to use Spider-Man. And so it was uncertain whether they would agree to it. So then they were like, okay, let's get Black Panther in earlier. And then they came up with a couple of great ideas of the bombing of T'Chaka getting killed and T'Challa taking up the reins as the new king of Wakanda. And then... They wrote so much Black Panther that by the time they got the rights from Sony to use Spider-Man, they were already committed to Black Panther being heavily involved in the story. And so they turned the Spider-Man original being, originally being a big role to being a much smaller role starting in the second half of the film. And I think it works really well, Black Panther heavily involved in this storyline because Chadwick Boseman being such a strong performer, 
Black Panther being such a beloved character, also new for fans, I think ultimately it worked better than if Spider-Man and Peter Parker were involved earlier in the story. Yeah, I think it works better too. And it works better for the story. Politically, too. Yeah, the geopolitics of it, I think getting Wakanda involved helped a lot. And getting T'Challa to want to kill Bucky and the Winter Soldier is excellent. But in that chase is excellent. They all get arrested, basically, and Bucky's in, like, that crazy cell. And obviously, Zemo activates him later on. And But we do learn that he's not the only Winter Soldier, that there is an entire program of Winter Soldiers developed, this death squad that can be activated at any moment. And that's... We think Zemo's plan is to activate these Winter Soldiers, when really it's not. His plan, we found out later on, is to destroy the Avengers from the inside. Because he has that great metaphor where a country, if it's destroyed by something else, like another country, an outside source, it can rebuild. Obviously, it's happened to many countries. However, if a country gets destroyed from the inside, it's gone forever. So his plan is to destroy the Avengers from the inside and make them kill each other. Because yeah. of Zakovia, and Zakovia killed his, his family. It's a great plan in the way he turns everyone against each other. But also, speaking of that foot chase again, I like how the Russos, they had the foot chase happen on a, on a, not like freeway, but like on a road with other cars driving to show just how fast these guys were. Because they're running faster than the cars. Yeah, they're going like 45 miles per hour. They're probably faster than that. It's, it's great. I I looked up the top speeds. I can't remember, but I think like Cap can run like 65 miles per hour, something like that. So like the And Black Panther can run like 70 miles per hour, something like that. So I love how they put the chase alongside cars to really see just how incredibly fast these individuals were. Captain America runs at about 26 miles per hour. That's still super fast. Sprinting 40 miles per hour. Sorry. 40 miles per hour? Yeah, okay. so comfortably it's 26, then sprinting is 40. So when he's running in the opening of the movie, it's probably uh -huh. 26. Yeah. But yeah, 40 miles per hour, it's pretty goddamn fast. That's really fast. But what's also, what's weird about that chase scene is Captain America driving a car. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Cap's driving a car? This yeah. is weird. And I'm sorry, the green screen does not look good there. But it's just <laughs> odd to see him driving a car. Motorcycle, sure, but yeah. like, I don't know, something about him behind the wheel. It just, it, yeah, I agree. It kind of felt weird whenever they cut to him inside the car. I was like, driving. I was like, like this is odd. This is weird. This, this doesn't odd. work. Yeah. But um, one of the best parts of this movie is the introduction of Peter Parker. Oh, yeah. And Tom Holland, he is so good as Pete. And I love this version. Obviously, it's, we've seen so many of them. But I think it really works. And you can you saw the potential in him as this character really early on. He takes like an hour or 15 to get him in the movie. It's, yeah, but it it's, works. It's right getting midpoint almost. And I love how Tony already knows about him and has always probably been keeping his eye on him. Tony probably has an entire catalog and so many files on superhumans all over the planet. Yeah, he's just waiting to send emails like the Justice League. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they, him and Cap both need to team up. You know, they're both understaffed, as they say. That's what Tony says. We're seriously understaffed. So they got to get a team together, a squad. And he goes and finds this spider boy. Spiderling, Spiderling, Spider Boy, <laughs> Spider Man, and it's really it's a cute sequence, and you see kind of like the father son relationship starting to develop a little bit here, and and it's, it's really unusually fun. attractive aunt. Yeah, <laughs> so Downey and Marissa Tomei actually used to be a couple. Did they really? Yes, they they acted in two films together in the eighties, and they dated for some time. So I think that he he was probably involved in getting her cast in the role. I love it. he's eating that bread. He's like as far as date raised. Date, date, wall, go. date walnut roast, it's not bad as he spits it into a trash can. <laughs> but he recruits Spidey and then also Falcon, I mean, and then Steve and Falcon and, and, Scar and Black Widow, they recruit Wanda. 
with Barnes gets Wanda from Vision. And they, you know, this movie starts setting up the, the Wanda and Vision relationship at back at Avengers headquarters together, making food together. Paprikash. And is that Paprikash? Iron Man basically has Scarlet Witch on lockdown. Also, I will say, you pointed this out before we recorded, not one mention of Quicksilver. Where's Quicksilver? Not even mentioning her dead brother. Her dead brother. He just died. He no just died. Fuck. She doesn't even mention him. She's not sad about it. She Her conflict is that she's stuck there. What about your dead fucking brother? I still Are can't you grieving? Believe, I can't believe they killed Quicksilver, man. In that one, was, mo- yeah, in one movie. I still can't believe that. Aaron Taylor Johnson's a star. That character is awesome. He and was I, a fun character. He I was can't great. believe they killed he him a off. Hi- he was a highlight of, of Ultron, Ultron, for sure. He really sure. was. I still don't understand why they killed him off. I don't get it either because he could have been really useful in the future films. I'm, I'm not sure why they... Why, he could still be a main player right now. Why They should have just killed off like a, a human character. Maybe they could have had someone involved. I don't know. But the the lack, the missed opportunity of what they could have done with Quicksilver and the rest of the MCU films, I mean, I, he's sorely missed. Especially in Civil War, he's very much missed. He's an awesome character. I'm still pissed about it. I can't believe they killed him. Like, why have him in the movie if you're just going to kill him? And not include him in out at all in the franchise. Really made no sense. But uh, the fact that Wanda, I just it always rubs me the wrong way that Wanda doesn't even even mention him in this. Yeah, film. I was I told you that before we recorded. Yeah. Like she didn't bring up her brother, her fucking dead twin brother once. She's just mad about being stuck there. What about your dead brother? <laughs> <laughs> I love how Hawkeye's back. Hawkeye has some really great jokes in this movie where he goes to to get Scarlet Witch from the Avengers compound and he's going after Vision, Vision yeah. and he's like, oh, I knew I should have stretched. <laughs> Clint's great. Clint was good at this one. I, re- I retire for, for five minutes and you all fuck everything up. <laughs> and then we are getting the building of chemistry between Falcon and Bucky in this movie, which obviously led to their TV series, but they're really funny together because they have the scene where they're in the car and that little buggy when Cap is talking to Agent Carter and she got the shield and suit for them from the compound and they kiss obviously but in the car Bucky's sitting behind Falcon he's like can you move your seat up Falcon's like nope <laughs> but then they Cap looks back at them after the kiss and they're both smiling they're like nice, like, yeah, nice. <laughs> and then when the at the airport fight they're both webbed to the ground and then Falcon says like you couldn't do that sooner with his little thing that that took Spider-Man away and Falcon's like, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're funny together. They're great. In the airport in Germany, it's But gr- also Ant-Man is hilarious. Yeah. Thanks for thanking of me. <laughs> Whoa, Captain America. This is awesome. <laughs> it's great. I know you too. You're great. <laughs> Paul Rudd's fucking great. He's so funny. The airport fights, it's cool, but also it's... It... The thing is, there's no stakes. Yeah. You know... Everyone's going to be friends eventually. Yeah, and it's just like... Is this a real fight? It's cool. It kind of doesn't really feel like a real fight. It turns into a real fight when it's Cap, Bucky, and, and Tony. Because Tony wants to kill Bucky. That's the problem. The intent to ki- There's no intent to kill. So there's no real stakes or conflict. Everyone's holding their punches. Exactly. And then in the thir- in the, at the finale, when it's the three of them fighting, Tony wants to kill Bucky. So there are real stakes. And that fight... It, and it seems the, like Tony will kill Steve. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it feels different. You feel the stakes, and you feel the there's real conflict in that fight. Yeah, but it's still fun. It's it's a blast. It's it's a lot of fun. It's, it's some great moments. Really cool sequences. You get to see Spider-Man doing his thing with the Avengers. It's just it's. I think that's more 
uh, fan service than than it is for really like trying to set up a real conflict. Yeah, it's really important for Spidey to get introduced with this moment. And I love how strong Spider-Man is compared to everyone. When he stops Winter Soldier's fist, he's like, dude, you have a metal arm and it's like nothing That's to so him. That's so cool. That shows you how strong Spider-Man is compared yeah. to everybody else. Yeah, I agree. It's it's really funny. But um, Spidey's super funny in that in that whole sequence. And it, it's a lot of fun. It is. And but, he, the, when, you, when you realize, like, okay, we don't have to worry about, don't focus on the lack of stakes. Don't focus on the fact that, like, nobody's going to die here. Um, it is fun when you just... Realize what it is, and then, and then Iron and Ant Man's great. Yeah, when he gets big, and it's really funny. And then all the the joke, the jokes really work. Especially, it's just like good spectacle. I remember seeing it in theaters, and it was just a really fun scene to watch. Well, Brody almost dies because what happens is Cap and Bucky use it as a diversion with Ant Man being huge to get away, and Black Widow helps them escape from Black Panther and Vision, and then as Falcon and I mean as Brody. War Machine and Iron Man are chasing after their ship as they're flying away. Uh, Falcon tries to stop them, and Vision tries to stop them as well, but accidentally hits Brody's chest piece, loses power, and he falls to the ground, almost dies. So there, someone almost does die. Yeah, but that's after the fight. Yeah. And also, he, 15 minutes later, he's walking. Not really. He's he's is he walking? Not really. He literally is, has he falls. Yeah. He can't walk. He no, literally can't walk. No, I know, I know, but he's got the stuff. He's he to- falls down. No, 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 no. Tony set him up with the 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 technology to help him walk. No, but that's what he I'm saying. falls. I know he falls. He I can't walk. I know, but still, like the thing is, I think it would have been it would have been more impactful if he died. Maybe yeah, because it was it was also like how the fuck did he survive that fall? Yeah. He's not superhuman either. It's like it, you said, a blade nose. Yeah, yeah. The dude fell fucking five hundred feet, probably more, more than that, and he survived. What? So that's that's the moment that I was I got taken out of it, like lack of stakes. Like, is anybody gonna die in the MCU? That would have been it. Would have been a good point to kill one of the human characters. And if I you think kill so. Brody there and it shows the mistakes that can happen, the collateral damage of the superhumans, you know, Vision trying to take out the ship and kills Brody instead. Yeah. That would have been insane stakes. I think that if Brody died, it would have been a lot more powerful of a moment. I agree. Because then uh, 15 minutes later, he's joking around with Tony, and obviously, I mean, we love him, but still, it, it just took away the stakes. I think you're right. But eventually, what because ha- I, I'm sorry, because it was very emotional in the moment yeah. when you thought he was dead. And you're just like, oh my god, shit, he's dead? So basically what happens in the third act now, though, is Bucky and Cap are going to take out all those other Winter Soldiers to stop them because they think Zemo's going to go activate them and try to take over the world or something. When they get there, they get to that secret bunker. They discover that all the Winter Soldiers have been killed in their sleep by Zemo, as well as Tony goes to see all of the Avengers that were on the other side who got arrested. They're in this crazy floating prison. Azkaban. Basically. (laughs) And they're all pissed at him, but he's there because he wants Falcon to give him information and lets him know that he trusts him, that he trusts Steve. Because he realized that Zemo impersonated the man who was supposed to, the therapist who was supposed to speak with Bucky earlier. And that there were disguises as Bucky Barnes for the other Winter Soldiers to use to create that bomb. So he believes Cap, he knows and understands that Cap's been right the whole time. I've been wrong, not necessarily about the Sokovia Accords, but about Bucky Barnes and about uh, about. Yeah, but about Bucky. So then he goes to find them. And then we get that master plan from Zemo 
where he wants the Avengers to kill themselves because he plays the tape, the video of Bucky killing Tony Stark's parents. Kudos to uh, did Disney own Marvel by now? Oh, for sure. Because th- that scene's pretty brutal of the killing of the of the Starks. It's pretty intense, and so I think that it's a highlight of the film how how intense that gets when he bashes Howard Stark's face with his metal fist, just basically imp- just destroying his skull, and then choking out um, Tony's mom. Um, although then the camera pans back up, but it's still very disturbing. Disney bought Marvel in two thousand nine. Okay, cool. A while ago, it's <laughs> a long time. But they were making darker movies, yeah, before, which I like, and it's a great fight. This is one of the best fights in the MCU of Tony versus Cap and Winter Soldier. And it's so good because it's back and forth. You don't know who's gonna win this fight, and it gets brutal. It gets dark, and it gets to the point where someone might die, and Tony will stop at nothing to kill the Winter Soldier, and he will kill Steve. He says, "Stay down, or, or you're or you're next." Basically, like after he incapacitates him momentarily. Yeah, he fucks them both up. And they both, they, they all, it's it's a it's a fair fight, you know. It's, it's pretty evenly matched. But Tony gets the upper hand, and then Steve and Bucky get the upper hand, and back and forth, back and forth, until Steve finally deactivates Tony's suit by smashing his shield into his um, reactor, which is very metaphorical, to smash his shield into Tony's power. Basically, in a way, Tony's not dead, but it's a, in a way, it's like killing him. You've taken away his powers. So he's it's not, in, yeah. In a way, he killed anymore. Iron Man, yeah. which is really emotional. And also, he, he fucking blasted off uh, Winter Soldier's arm. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's a great fight. And I just like, they're all blue, bruised and bloodied and all fucked up. It's just like, wow, you see the aftermath of the fight. And it's extremely emotional for Tony and, and, and Steve to these guys who were once brothers and, and they were partners. And now they're literally fighting to kill each other. It's great. And T'Challa sparing Zemo. And all he's wanted to do is get vengeance, but he's realized that vengeance has consumed me. I can't let it anymore. I have to, if not, I'm not going to forgive this guy, but he's going to face justice. So he prevents Zemo from killing himself. And Zemo, his his family was killed in Sokovia? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Took him two days to find their bodies. Which is really sad. And... You know, the movie ends where Cap and Tony, they're not friends anymore, but Tony, Cap sends Tony that letter for in the Tony cell phone. And Tony for Tony, Tony Stank. <laughs> and it's an emotional read, and, you know, Captain America, Steve Rogers apologizes to Tony for keeping the information that he knew about what happened to his parents and how he knew how they died. He thought he was sparing him, but really all he did was hurt him even more. And he gives him a cell phone, and basically, if you ever need me, just give me a call. And that's obviously in Avengers Infinity War where Tony says, I have to make a call. And that's why where he calls Steve Rogers at uh, Doctor Strange is uh, Temple or do- what's it called? Mojo Dojo Casa yeah, House. Yeah, Doctor Strange's <laughs> Mojo Dojo Casa House. <laughs> the Sanctum Centaur. Sanctum Centaur. Thank you. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> I think that this film has one of the strongest endings of any MCU film for both that, for both for the fight, and then for Tony reading Steve's letter, and then for Steve showing up in the prison, yeah, smiling, and then they're like, "Fuck yeah, let's go!" And Tony like basically lets it happen because the Secretary of State calls him and he puts him on hold. Please hold. I love watching the the light blink. Yeah, so I think that Civil War 
Civil War has some middling areas, and it is a it can be a little long and it can be a little boring sometimes. Yeah. But when it does work, it's really good. And in terms of endings, I think that the conclusion of Civil War is top tier in Marvel. Yeah, and then you know this is a great lead up and build up into Infinity War, and and it relates so much to Civil War. And I know this is a, a Captain America movie. It just feels so much like an Avengers movie at the same time. But I, I think that it's got a really strong plot with the Winter Soldier, with Steve Rogers, and with Iron Man, all the three of them being the main components. It, and it was necessary to set up Infinity War, dividing them so they're not communicating and they're not a team at the moment so that when the attack happens in Infinity War, uh, they're they're ill-prepared and understaffed. And Tony says it to him, to Cap, when in an, an, the opening of Endgame, when he gets back to Earth, he's like, you weren't here! So it's like... It showed how vulnerable they were because they weren't a team. Yeah. So it had to be, they had to get divided. And this movie was a great setup for Infinity War. It's an excellent film. And this is an excellent trilogy. And I really enjoyed the hell out of watching these movies. And I haven't seen them in years, man. I think this is the best uh, solo franchise in the MCU so far. Uh, I think so too. Thor has a couple of good movies. Guardians movies are all good. Uh, they're all, but I just think, I'm, I think the second one's too much of a weak outing for me for Guardians. I don't. I don't love it. I think it's really funny. That's the best soundtrack too. Great soundtrack, but I do think that in terms of story, it's the the le- it's the weakest link of the, the of the three Guardians movies. And I'm just not a big fan of the the super the super fight at the end with uh with Star Lord and his dad. I have a good time when I watch that movie. Well, it's a good time. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, we don't, we yeah, don't have to agree. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. You can agree to disagree. I enjoy the film, but I'm just saying in terms of like a, a film. First Guardians is the best, I would say. It's a great movie. Yeah, First Guardians is really fantastic. But I think Cap's trilogy is the most consistent overall. Yeah, has one of the best MCU movies in general. Iron Man, I still think is a top five for me. Yeah, Iron Man's for for a movie. Uh, Poor Thor. Yeah, (laughs) Ragnarok's great. Ragnarok. (laughs) Ragnarok's great. <laughs> Thor has one really good movie. Those bleached eyebrows, man, in the first one. Kenneth Branagh did a good job with the first Thor. It's well, it's, it's good. well made. It's good. It's well made. It's not like amazing, but it is good. It's a good first film. But I, I do think that First Avenger is better than Thor one, and Iron Man is still my favorite Marvel movie. First Avenger is surprisingly holds up and is still excellent. I agree. I, think. I agree. And that wraps our episode on the Captain America trilogy. Oh, I think I had some fun facts yeah, let's for hear some... Civil War. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, just give me a second, man. <clears throat> Cut you off. Tom Holland commented on how intimidated he was when he came up to screen test for Spider-Man, saying that Robert Downey Jr. took him aside and said, Listen, I remember my screen test for Iron Man. I remember how terrified I was. Just think of this as an audition. It's nothing too scary. And if you get it wrong, we'll just start again. No pressure. Really nice. Sebastian Stan revealed that the backpack that Bucky is seen wearing when he's in Cognito contains lots of journals of him putting together his scattered memories. No CGI was used during the highway chase scene when Bucky lifts up that motorcycle and just jumps on top of it. They actually did that for real, real stunt work. Very That's cool. an awesome stunt. Yeah. Tony- Bucky on a motorcycle just looks sick. Yeah, it's great. It's great. <clears throat> blah, 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 blah. I already said the other stuff, so go cool. Ahead. All right, that wraps officially the episode on the Captain America trilogy. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode again. Share this with your friends who love the MCU, who love Captain Rogers, who love these movies. It's the best way for our show to grow. 
leave those five-star reviews and ratings on Spotify and Apple, and become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. See you next time. Do this all day. This episode was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons, Cody Moen, Andrew Hagen, Becca Keen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy Griggs, Nicholas Martin, Darian, Tyler McFly, and Sal Koching. Our Chosen One patrons are our biggest supporters. Thank you so much. Thank you for watching Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button, hit the like button as well, notifications for sure. Listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere you can listen to podcasts. And be sure to check out this other content we have on our YouTube channel.